get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Look, he has to come in and earn a spot. We, we have a very competitive, potentially our, our rotation being very competitive, given all the different arms that would like to start. You know, right now we've guaranteed nothing. The police taking advantage of his offseason, avoiding videos. When, he, when it comes time to get to Jupiter, he's ready to compete. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESP. And that was John Mozalock about a week ago now talking about Carlos Martinez's opportunity in the rotation. Let's start with that. Let's start with what the Cardinals are going to do in the rotation next year, Ferrario. We're going to talk with Bob Nightingale coming up at noon. Danny Mack's going to join us at 1230. Ann Rogers yesterday had a really good story on the Cardinals starting options for the upcoming year. I think we all kind of know what they are at this point, though. We've broken that down as much as you could possibly look into who the starting options are for the upcoming year. I think the more interesting way to look at it for me is what are the options for 2022? Because next year you've got KK. You're going to have potentially Wayno. You know Flaherty's going to be in there. You know Michaelis, if healthy, is going to be in there. And basically we're talking about one spot, and you can get whoever you prefer in that spot, you could go with them. For 2022 is where things get interesting. Carlos is going to be gone. Wayno is going to be gone. KK is a free agent at that point. You believe you're getting back Hudson. You would expect that both Flaherty and Michaelis will be in the rotation. So that leaves you two spots for 2022 as to who's going to be in that rotation. And Ferrario, the question that I would pose to you, how much does that weigh on who you want to see at the back end of the rotation in 2021? Because your options are probably going to be guys like Ponce and Gomber and Libertor, Oviedo, Woodford, Thompson. Maybe you take one of the bullpen arms and stick them in the rotation. How much does your thought of who's going to be in the rotation in 2022 impact for you who will be in it in 2021 so i wrote this down last night bk when i knew we were going to talk about this in 2021 we, we've mentioned it you know those last two spots you know we're not so sure about wainwright for me there's four guys competing for those last two spots this season it's martinez it's Ponce, it's gomber and it's reyes throw in other guys but those are the four i think that are the favorite 2022 I think three of those guys might not be here. So Martinez is gone. Mm -hmm. Wainwright is obviously not going to be here. And I'm not so sure KK is going to be back. Yeah, probably. Because then Hudson comes in. So you're one through three or Hudson, Michaelis, and Flaherty, unless something unforeseen happens. It becomes even more important to find out Reyes, Ponce, 
and Gomber, because those are the three that that are at those crossroads right now. That, okay, are you a starter? Are you a bullpen? Or are you somebody else's player? I think that's more so for Gomber and Ponce, not so much Reyes. But I think those three have to start this season and have to get a sustained amount of starts this season for you to sit here and say, okay, they can be 2022. Because you have the dark horses, Libertor, Oviedo, Thompson, if he's not traded away at some point. You have these guys that are up and coming, but look, let's be honest, they may see a bullpen or a random start at some point this upcoming season. So for me, when you're looking at 2022, this season is it very impactful and important on Ponce, Gomber, and Reyes to be in the rotation for next season. So the guys that I view as almost certain to be in the rotation in 2022 are the same as you. It's Hudson, Michaelis, and Flaherty, barring any sort of injury, right? Those are the three guys that should be assured spots. They should go into the offseason knowing, unlike Carlos Martinez this offseason, right. you're going to be a starter for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2022. Those three, Hudson, Michaelis, Flaherty. I actually think as long as everything goes as we expect it to, Liberator probably should be the fourth. You think so? In that That group. quick? Yes. Because if he's what they have sold him to be, and that's really critical here, if he is the guy that they have told us that he is, he needs to be a starter for them. Also, because, you know, what you gave up in return for Liberator has become a star. Randy Rosarena is a superstar down there, and it shouldn't affect what the Cardinals do with Liberator. But let's be honest, it very well may. Everything that we've heard, Liberator could be up by the end of the season this year, September call-ups. And then the real expectation is that by 2022, he's a starter in this rotation. So that's how I'm going to view him. That's how I'm going to judge him. I think he should be at the back end, probably your number four or five starter the in the 2022 year. That leaves one more spot. And so this all brings us back to the conversation about Carlos and Wayno and KK and what they do this upcoming year. Man, we've talked a lot about what happens if you don't bring back Yachty. And there's really no replacement. We can talk all we want about Kisner. I feel like the Cardinals have told us with their actions how they feel about Kisner. They've also kind of told us with their actions how they feel about these pitchers. They love all of their options in the rotation. So for me, as we talk about these options for 2022, it makes it even less important for me, unfortunately, to bring back Adam Wainwright for this upcoming year. Because look at all these options. Eventually, what they're going to run into is a similar situation to what they have currently in the outfield. If you don't start finding out what you have in some of these guys, I don't need Alex Reyes to start 20 games next year. But could he start five? I'd like to see that. So that way we at least know if he can do the job. I would like to see eventually uh, what Thompson looks like. I would like to see over an extended period of time whether or not Gomber is truly a starter in this league. Same thing for Ponce. Let's see that next year. And if that means it comes at the expense of Adam Wainwright being on this team, well, maybe that's what 2021 should be. Unfortunately, if they're not going to go out there and make these wholesale changes that we all want to see, maybe next year really is a transition season and they treat it as such. And we've talked a lot about it being that in the outfield. It very well could be that in the rotation as well. See, we've talked a lot about either or with Yachty and Wayne OBK, and I know Fastlane's talked about it as well. Um, I think if, if Yachty doesn't come back, that's why it becomes even more important for the Cardinals to bring Wayne right back. And I do think there's some importance still on Wayno being on this team next year. Yes, he's going to clog up a spot that's your that's needed for some of these guys to find out who they are, like the outfield position. 
But do we really believe that Jack Flaherty is going to pitch a full normal season after last year being shortened and on a leash? Do we really believe Miles Michaelis isn't going to hit some type of hiccup this upcoming season after being out all of last season? Do we really believe Gomber and Ponce and Reyes can fill that void for this upcoming season of a full season being in the rotation? I'm not so sold on that. So with Wainwright, Wainwright to me is my ace in the hole. Wainwright is the guy that I have no matter what that I can go out and be assured I'm getting seven innings from so that if I have to clog up some holes or fill some gaps that are injuries or leashes put on players, Wainwright can do that while still learning what all of these pitchers are for me in depth. So it's an interesting point that you bring up. Do you get your regular start starting opportunities out of these younger guys? I think the answer to that question is no. I don't think you're going to see 30 to 33 starts from uh, Jack Flaherty next year. I think you could see 20 to 25, though. I think you should expect that out of him. I think you should expect about 30 out of both KK and Miles Michaelis, as long as they're healthy throughout the season. Mm -hmm. That's already up to 85 or so starts. So you've basically got... If we expect a full season, we'll see. But it might be a full season. About 70 starts to work with for the remaining guys that we've talked about. So that means between Carlos and potentially Wayno and Oviedo and Thompson and Gomber and Ponce, that's 70 starts to go around. It's just not a whole lot. Eventually, you get to the point that we've been talking about so much with the outfield where, okay, we saw 60 games out of Tyler O'Neill. Do we really know what he is now? Right. The answer to the question is no. Can you find out really an evaluation of Gomber or Ponce if they get 10 starts? I think the answer is probably still no. And so at that point, you're basically trying to rerun it back again in 2022, answering the same questions that we could get answered in 2021. See, for me, 30 is optimistic for Michaelis. KK, I can see that. I think he can be a distance for you, but 30 might be optimistic. But let's say it is 30 for those guys. If you play 120 games, that leaves you 70 starts. And if you take Wayno out of those six guys, that's 70 starts for five players. 14 starts per guy. I, I I don't know if that's enough to sell me on. But if Wayno's back, you'd think he gives you 30. If Wayno's back, yes. But I'm going off the mindset of if Wayno isn't back yeah. and you want to learn what these guys are. 14 for me is enough to learn from Absolutely. these guys. But on top of that, 14 is actually doable for these guys. Like, I mean, 14 for Carlos might be a little bit stretching it, but 14 for Oviedo, 14 for Gomber, for Ponce. I think you can put some in and out. But I also think if you add Wayno into that, you can still learn. 10 might not be enough to learn from these guys, but it gives you a better idea. I don't think you need to learn a lot about Oviedo, Thompson, and Libator because these guys are in your system. The two guys you need to learn a lot about are Ponce and Gomber. And I think two guys with Wayno back, you learn enough about those two and then can add in these other kind of players throughout and learn about them as well yeah the the question would be if you bring back wayno to go along with kk michaelis flaherty you're already up to 150 to 100 or 115 rather to 120 starts you've got about 40 left that's where you start getting into the mix of uh, i don't know that we have enough to be yeah. able to evaluate these guys so as much as i would love to see wayno back if this was a year that they were really going for it i think you can make a really strong case that the cardinals are better with Adam Wainwright in the mix. I think that is the case, actually. I think that is true. 
But without them really going for it this year, without them adding a big bat to this lineup, I don't think it's a year where you are truly competing for a World Series. And so with that in the back of our mind, if we are talking about this as a true transition season, I think it does kind of make some sense to move on from Adam Wainwright, even though that it is difficult to say. I say all of that to kind of go back to the Adier Molina thing. Just bring him back. Right. Get him for these young pitchers so you can get a true evaluation of them so you know there are no excuses. They've got the guy behind the plate. They've got a defense behind them that is good. If they are good, if they put up the good numbers, they can be a starter again in 2022. If they're not, then you know going into the following season, we've got Libertur, we've got all these other options. They can now go into our starting rotation. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 11:13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You guys can always get involved in the show via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature as well. We will be joined by our guy Bob Nightingale coming up at noon yesterday. He was the one that broke the story that Major League Baseball, once again, I brought up how many starts the Cardinals have well might not be 162 (laughs) next year unfortunately they're still going back and forth with the players association on how long the season's going to be bob nightingale will give us the latest on that coming up at noon danny mack at 12 30 and the voice of the blues chris kerber coming up at 1 30 but coming up next can robert thomas follow the timeline that ryan o'reilly started his career on It might sound kind of crazy when you think about it, but let me get into a couple of these numbers. It's not a terrible comparison. We'll get into that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Robert Thomas, you give him better line mates. Let's say he's got a healthy Tarasenko, uh, and let's say he's uh, matured physically. Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong questioned uh, his uh, fitness uh, up to date and said that he could uh, serve himself well by by being in, in better condition. So if you have a Robert Thomas who's in real good shape playing with better line mates, I think the sky is the absolute ceiling for this guy. He, he's terrific. We saw uh, glimpses of it last year, and I think it's only going to get better with those two things that I mentioned. Robert Thomas is a hell of a player already. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us yesterday. If you missed any of that podcast page, 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. All brought to you by I Promise. So he's already a heck of a player, but for some reason, for whatever reason, ESPN.com put together their top 25 rankings of the best players in the NHL under the age of 25. And you'd think, okay, well, that's a shoo-in. I go up and down the list. I'm scrolling down. I'm like, okay. I'm sure I'm going to find, no, not at 20, not at 15. No, well, probably not in the top five, right? Uh, Nope, definitely not. Robert Thomas did not only not make their top 25 players under the age of 25, he was not an honorable mention. He was not somebody that was close to making the cut. There was zero mention of the name Robert Thomas on this page from ESPN. And I got to be honest with you, Ferrario, that surprised the heck out of me because here in St. Louis, we think of him as a future like 1A center, a guy that can be an absolute stud for this franchise. They're kind of in that, if you want to call right now a transition period, although still winning, of course, Mm -hmm. different than the Cardinals transition period, he's the guy that's going to be a part of whatever the next core is. He's going to be maybe the main piece of whatever the next core is here in St. Louis. And yet he's not mentioned among the top 25 players under the age of 25. It surprised the heck out of me. What did you make of that? 
Originally, it, it surprised me, but then you go through the list of players on that list, BK, and, and there's a couple that I think, okay, Robert Thomas is better than this guy. Like Nick Suzuki, I think, was on this list. And look, Robert Thomas has shown that he's a better player than Nick Suzuki. Um, but look, is Robert Thomas going to be Elias Pettersson? No. Is he going to be an Austin Matthews? No. I don't think anybody expected that. For St. Louis right now, he will be a number one center. Robert Thomas's projection, at least from what we've been told in conversations with players that have played with him, Craig Berube, Doug Armstrong, again, this is all in-house, but I've talked to other broadcasters outside. They view Robert Thomas as the best centerman on this roster moving forward, which means he would be 1A above Ryan O'Reilly. I think at least for this top 25 list from the ESPN side, it's because Robert Thomas is playing on a damn good team. Like if you put Robert Thomas today on Montreal's roster, he would be in this top 25 list because he's going to be getting a lot more ice time. He's going to be producing a lot more because there's nobody else producing on that side. Whereas for the blues, if you go in his first rookie year, when he was playing on that third line and wins a cup, he's playing with Bozak and Maroon. He's putting up points, but he's not putting up points. His second year, he got shots at that top six positions, playing with Shannon Schwartz, playing a little bit with Tarasenko, playing some with O'Reilly and Perron. He's getting more opportunities. This year's going to be huge in terms of the growth of Thomas into a number one elite centerman or elite top six forward. But I think if you're looking at Robert Thomas as a 25 to 35 goal scorer, you're going to be mistaken. He's got to get the weapons around him for him to produce at the level that the Blues want him to. Yeah, it's like a salesperson that goes from a small company in a small town that is the clear-cut number one salesperson and is a superstar for them, right? And then right. they go uh, to New York City working for a Fortune 500 company, and now they're the 10th best salesperson within that company, right? A little different. Th that That's Robert Thomas right now. He's in that Fortune 500 company, and so he's just getting fewer opportunities. It's harder to be able to come up with those points because you've got other guys that are producing on the team. So I went into kind of research mode of, okay, then what, what does this look like? It, like? If Robert Thomas is the player that we have been sold and he's going to become a stud in this league, and I'm still of the belief that that's going to be the case, what does that timeline look like? Because so far, if you look over the last two years, 19 and 20-year-old seasons for Robert Thomas, still a very, very young player. He had nine goals, 33 points in year one. He had 10 goals and 42 points in a shortened season in year two. Well, there's a player on the roster right now for the Blues that had a very similar development timeline. It's Ryan O'Reilly. I'm not saying they're the same stylistically. They're very much not. They're different players. One is very uh, a quicker guy in Robert Thomas. The other is one of the best defensive centermen in the league. I understand that. I'm saying point production-wise. Ryan O'Reilly in year one, eight points, 18 assists, 26 points overall. Year two, 13 goals, 26 points overall. Then year three, he hit that breakout season 18 goals 55 points for Colorado ended up being a really really good player that produced at the level that they were all expecting by the way that was his age 20 season if you're looking this season for what does it look like if we see that breakout that we've been hearing so much about it's probably something pretty similar although prorated so fewer goals but kind of proportionally similar numbers to what we saw in year three from Ryan O'Reilly when he was with Colorado putting up 55 points that season. That's the type of year that if you're a Blues fan hoping to see that breakout, 
I think you want to see from uh, Robert Thomas this year, especially given what the line mates are going to be. Yeah, well, and, and for Ryan O'Reilly, those those first three years in Colorado that you referenced, remember the teams that were in Colorado at the time. Like he was playing with Paul Stastny, wasn't playing with him, but he was on that roster. He was a third line forward, much like what Robert Thomas was. He, Ryan O'Reilly was making those points with third line wingers. And no disrespect to a Pat Maroon or Tyler Bozak, but that's where they play. They're third and fourth line wingers. Robert Thomas is a rookie. A 19-year-old did that. He put up 33 points with those guys. And then the next year, he still was a third line winger, playing with Bozak, an insert player here and there, got shots moving up. Ryan O'Reilly is the perfect way to view point production for Robert Thomas. He's never going to be a 30-goal scorer, like I mentioned. Ryan O'Reilly was never a 30-goal scorer. I think he got to 24 with the Blues, 25 with the Blues in the regular season his first year. His career high is 28. He did that twice, and including his first year here in St. Louis. So that's that's best-case scenario. But the difference is... Ryan O'Reilly is able to make the guys around him better. And I think Robert Thomas can do that. But right now, Robert Thomas needs guys with him to make him better as well. Ryan O'Reilly is one of those guys. I mean, they're working with each other every day at practice. But as Rutherford mentioned on our return, you got to get some weapons on the side with Robert Thomas if you want to see this continue to grow. Some of that's on him because you got to be in condition. But some of that is also on the players that because play, if he's playing with Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford, BK, he's not going to produce It's a waste of his talent. It is. Let's be honest, right? Like if, if you have a chef that is working in a McDonald's kitchen, like that, that's that's wasting the talent of that five star Michelin chef. Probably right? a damn good McDonald's. <laughs> probably. But if he's on the fry line, like you're probably not going to be the, the true fruits of that guy's labor. It's the same thing for Robert Thomas, right? Yeah. You want to be able to have guys that can make good on the passes that he's able to distribute around. And so if he's got Schwartz or Shin or hopefully at some point this year, Tarasenko, well, that's a totally different line than being with Bozak or Blay or Clifford or Kairou. Like, no disrespects to those guys. I don't think they would take it as disrespect. They're not the same line mates as Schwartz and Shin and Tarasenko. So what is, for, for you this year, what is your hope of where we see Robert Thomas? Like, if you could put your ideal pairings with him on that top line, who would you have with him? The hope for me is Robert Thomas forces Craig Berube's hand to shift Braden Shen to the wing. Because, one, that, sig- that signals that Robert Thomas has hit his peak, which is hard to do for a 21-year-old. But if he hits his peak and you're forcing Braden Shen, who is a very good centerman on your roster, if you're forcing him to play on the wing because Thomas is producing – that's best case scenario for these guys. What I would hope is that, but I think what can happen and what should be expected is him to be a consistent player in the top six. Now, if they spread him out and move him to the third line as a centerman, you're looking for more offense. You're spreading the wealth rather than just putting it all on one line. But if he's producing and he is forcing their hand all season to be a top six forward, that's the best position the Blues can be in with Robert Thomas. And frankly, that's the best position Robert Thomas can have with this Blues team because you want to take that next step. And we were talking in the office when you asked me, is Ryan O'Reilly kind of a comp? I do think so. Now, O'Reilly is is slower, and you talked about this. Yeah. O'Reilly's defense is better than Robert Thomas's, but Thomas can get there. I think if hockey fans listening or just the casual fan, David Krejci from Boston is kind of a comp because he's a defensive-minded player but he can score goals. Again, the best looking season for him is going to be 25 to 30 goals, but 
what Robert Thomas should be doing every night is, or I'm sorry, every season is somewhere between 40 and 55 assists because that's what he is. He's a playmaker and the Blues hope he can be a playmaker moving forward. What do you think about these top three lines? This is in an ideal world. This is after Vladimir Tarasenko oh, gets back. You're a hockey nerd now. Okay. Here we go. Okay, let's do Hit this. Hit me with it. Top line, Shin Thomas Tarasenko to go on that top line. Hopefully you get the point production that we're talking about with Thomas. Okay. The next line, number two line, Schwartz, Ryan O'Reilly, Perron. You got to keep O'Reilly and Perron at least together. Mm-hmm. And then the third line, Sanford, Sonny, Bozak. I like it. I'm not opposed to it. The only thing I would say is they love Shannon Schwartz playing together. So I would say maybe Tarasenko drops Shen down. Schwartz, Thomas. Yeah, and Tarasenko drops to play with O'Reilly and Perron. on the left wing, though? I, I, you could try Perron on the left wing. I know he doesn't like to play in the left wing, but you could try it there. Or, frankly, if you put Tarasenko with an Oscar Sundquist, which I know is a third-line position, but you can't look yeah, at it. I don't it. think Tarasenko's going to do that. I don't think he is either, but you can't look at it that way because if you're able to use a veteran guy like Tyler Bozak, if you're able to use an Oscar Sundquist who uses his size and then Tarasenko with a shot... That might be something. But yeah, I don't know if Tarasenko is going to be in on my that. biggest surprise of the offseason continues to be that the Blues ended up clear Bozak. And I think if they're going to it's going to pay off for them. He's, he's a good player. Yeah, I think you have to. But I'm going to be fascinated to see what they decide to do with him, because you could easily put him third line winger um, because of what you have right now with Sonny. You could play him third line center if, if need be with if Sonny ends up getting hurt again. Mm-hmm. You could even move him down to that fourth line if you needed to, because he could play down there, potentially play center. You can move Barbie to the wing if you needed to. Uh, Kairou's going to be all over the place this season. They've got a lot of options there. This is kind of getting back to what it was two years ago mm-hmm. with their depth along the forward. Can I give you a, a hockey nerd outlines? Because now I'm doing this in my head because we're like less than a month <laughs> away and I'm getting excited. So Thomas Tarasenko and let's say Sammy Blay on that top line, your second line of Sanford O'Reilly Perron, your third line of a Schwartz Shen and Kairou. And then a fourth line of Sunquist, Barbashev, Bozak, and a um, uh, uh, who's it? The free agent that just signed Brown, Clifford. Clifford thank you. For some reason, I was saying Cliff Brown. That's not right. Uh, Br- uh, Clifford as a kind of rotator in that fourth line. It's interesting. Um, I that is more gearing towards what they did in 2019. Spreading the wealth rather than go heavy. Absolutely. Which I think that, you kind of have to do if you're the Blues. That's kind of thinking about it in pairs as opposed to thinking about it in lines. Mm-hmm. I I kind of love the idea, though, of having one dominant line because that is also something that we saw in that 2019 season is eventually you got to the point where there was just that top line was completely unstoppable. Yep. Nobody could do anything against it. And hopefully they have something similar to that coming up in the upcoming Damn season. It, give me hockey with Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN six, five, seven, eight Oh, is the air comfort service text line to get involved to the show. Let's play a game of buy, sell or hold coming up next. Are you buying, selling or holding? On the Browns, Bills, and Titans. We'll give you that. We'll hear from you coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for buy, sell, or hold. You give us three options. We'll tell you which one we're buying, selling, or holding. It's all right here on 101 ESPN. Let's start out with a buy, sell, or hold local college basketball edition. Okay, I like it. Buy, sell, or hold. Mizzou 
Illinois Slew Hoops. Buy, sell, hold. Which one are you going with, Ferrario? Damn, this is not going to be easy because I don't want to sell on any of these teams. But I'm going to play we the game. we got to make at least one fan base, Matt. I know. Well, <laughs> might as well piss somebody off today. Look, I watched both games last night. Slew picking up the victory and then Illinois picking up the victory. I'm going to buy... I'm going to buy on Illinois. I I think you have to buy on Illinois when you have a top player in the entire nation in college basketball. I'm going to. Why are you doing this to me? I'm going to hold on the Billikens and I'm going to sell on the Tigers. So we're close on this. Are you flipping them? The, the front two? I'm flipping the front two. Okay. Based on where the, I think the price would be. So I'm looking at this like the stock market, yeah, you're right? Going, you're going odds. I'm looking at, okay, what is the price to get in on this? What do I think it's going to be at the end of the year? And my biggest return on investment, I think it's coming from St. Louis. Yeah. I think SLU right now, the fact that they are not ranked in the top 25 is borderline criminal. They have right now, according to Ken Palm, a top 40 offense, top 40 defense. They are the third best offensive effective field goal percentage in the country. That means basically when they shoot the ball, they have the third highest likelihood of it going into the basket of all teams in the country among 350 squads. Yuri Collins is a dude. Like I'm watching this guy last night. He does not look like a sophomore. Like he does not look like he is anything other than a senior right now they're awesome they're, yeah. they're really damn good and the fact that they're not in the top 25 right now is unbelievable so i'm buying slew i am holding with illinois because again they are also really 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 good and as you said they have one of the top players in the country somebody that's going to be legitimately in contention for national player of the year and based on where they're at right now i'm gonna go ahead and sell on mizzou yeah that doesn't mean that i'm out on mizzou I just think of all of these teams, the one that has the the lowest ceiling to me is probably Missouri, just because on any given night, we've talked about this, Alex, the three-point shooting is a problem, yeah. and it could creep up on them, and if an opponent, like if you had that Liberty game, for instance, if you're a Mizzou fan, you watched it, that was a night where Mizzou did not shoot well, Liberty started out the game shooting really well, and mm-hmm. that can come up to get them, especially in a tournament where you've got a lot of these mid-majors that are just chucking up shots from three. Yeah, look, I mean, Mizzou was lucky that Ao uh, Susumu didn't put up a better play in bragging rights because yeah. I think if it would have been, he could have knocked that three-pointer down. So I'm with you on that. I do think all three of these teams are very similar. Oh, in terms of like if you were playing Madden and you were looking at the overall team ratings, right? I think the ratings for all three of these teams are pretty similar mm-hmm. right now. Buy, sell, or hold. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Buy, sell, or hold. AFC Contender Edition. Okay. The Browns, the Bills, and the Titans. Browns, Bills, Titans, who you buy and who you sell and who you hold on. AFC contender meaning gets to that championship game. Of those three teams, don't look at it that way. Of okay. these three teams, who you buy and who you sell and who you hold okay, on. Okay, I got you. Okay, Browns, Titans, Bills. I'm buying Bills. I I have to buy Bills right now. Josh Allen's my guy. They're running that offense. I'm holding on the Browns because I really think the Browns are underestimated right now. And I think... What we saw against the Ravens was a bad defensive night. Usually that defense is on. Miles Garrett's a monster. The secondary at least can hold down the fort. They're a legitimate contender, so I'm holding on to the Browns, and I'm selling the Titans. As much as I talked about MVPs and Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, that defense, like we talked about yesterday uh, with Eric Edholm, scares the hell out of me, and I think it should scare a lot of people in the AFC. All right. So... 
I am going to buy on the Browns again based on where they're at right now perception wise. They easily could have won that game against the Ravens easily. We look at the final score. I get it. The the defense didn't look good against Lamar Jackson. They struggled in that game. However, they just beat the Titans. This is still a team that scares the heck out of me with their pass rush. Their running game is arguably in total the best in the NFL right now. Awesome offensive line. Baker looks much better. I'm buying on the Browns. I'm holding on the Titans again. You're going to sell on the bills. Really good offensive line. The defense scares the heck out of me. If I'm a Titans fan, they can't stop a nosebleed right now. (laughs) The team that I'm selling on is the bills. We've gone overboard. I have now heard dozens, dozens of commentators come on the airwaves this week and say, you know what? The team that can give the chiefs the uh, biggest threat. It's the Buffalo bills. That's not, that's not true at all. Guys, We watched this game. I watched it. You watched it. It was a national television game. The Chiefs beat the hell out of the Bills. It wasn't close. Josh Allen threw for a buck 25 through the air, and they finished with 85 yards on the ground. He stunk against that defense. Stunk against him. Stink, stank, stunk. It wasn't good. Grinch Christmas style there. (laughs) So if you're telling me that that's the best the AFC has to offer, not named the Chiefs, I'm telling you that the AFC is the Chiefs. That's it. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to sell on the bills as much as everybody's trying to sell them on me or me on them. I'm not in. I'm okay. going to go ahead and buy on the Browns. Hold on the Titans selling on the Bills. I see what you're saying about Buffalo and the Chiefs, but you take that back, BK. Do not sell them Buffalo Bills. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for buy, sell or hold. Buy, sell or hold Cardinals edition. <laughs> Cardinals poor performer edition. Oh, oh. Buy, sell, or hold. Carpenter, Fowler, Tyler O'Neill. Okay, I need a description on this, though. Poor performer? Like, who's going to be the worst performer? That's just the category. Okay. These are all, they, they have not so, performed recently. So you have, you're, you're buying, you're selling, you're holding on these three poor performances. Yes. Okay. Are you buying on Matt Carpenter that he's going to be better this upcoming year? Dexter Fowler or Tyler O'Neill? Which one are you buying, selling, or holding on? I'm selling Matt Carpenter. Uh, I mean, I started off with the, the negative here. Look, Matt Carpenter can be better. I would hope he could be better, but I don't expect him to be better. So I'm keeping him on the sell side. I'm holding on Dexter Fowler. And much like you just did on the first two BK, I'm hoping my stock can rise. Nobody is buying in on Tyler O'Neill. I'm not expecting this guy to be a four hole. I'm not insane like the Cardinals. I'm not doing the same thing over and over. But you know what? Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle for one season and you get a six-hole hitter out of Tyler Neal. So I'm buying on the Canadian Hulkster. Okay. (laughs) So if you buy on Carpenter, BK, we will end this segment. So here we go. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) Matt Carpenter's stock has never been lower. Oh, no. He hit 186 last year. There's a reason for that. He was 23% below league average. He had no power. He wasn't very good defensively. He didn't hit for average. He struck out a decent amount. He didn't really have a great on-base percentage. However, however, this is me putting on my bo- mobo tie for a moment, right? I'm going to buy on Matt Carpenter because... Well, that's cute. I'm not sure I have another option right now. <laughs> oh, God. Guys, I don't know if you've looked at the free agent market. There are not a whole lot of third basemen available. Yeah, there are. It's Jonathan Scope. There are even fewer third basemen available that the Cardinals are realistically going to go after that could take Matt Carpenter's spot in the order. I don't think they're adding an outfielder. I think the best case scenario is that they bring back Yadier Molina. 
So, I'm going to do my best this offseason to convince myself that Matt Carpenter is going to be better next year. So, I'm going to buy him because I don't think I have another choice. So, I think Matt Carpenter is going to be your everyday starting third baseman next year because I don't know how else he doesn't. So, if we lose you in the middle of the season, BK, you're going to be curled up in a corner just rocking back and forth. Why did I pick Carpenter? Why did I pick Carpenter? Why did I pick Carpenter? 100%. Okay. 100%. I'm going to go ahead and hold on Tyler O'Neill because I think that's the exact same thing that the Cardinals are doing right now. <laughs> and I'm going to sell on Dexter Fowler. I think the Cardinals are going to next year. Again, we've talked about this so much view this as a transition season and therefore I think you're going to see less opportunities for Dexter Fowler than we've seen from him in the past just because he's he's the older guy in the room he is done with his contract at the end of the season they're going to move on from him you would imagine and they're going to see what they have from the, their younger guys so buying Matt Carpenter unfortunately holding on Tyler O'Neill, selling on Dexter Fowler final one for you real quick buy seller hold Cardinals prospect edition okay Alex Reyes Matthew Libertor Nolan Gorman, Reyes, Libertor, Gorman. I'm buying Libertor for everything that we've been sold on this guy, hopefully being an ace. I'm holding on Nolan Gorman and I'm selling on Alex Reyes. And I hate to say it because Alex Reyes has looked like a stud, but hopefully the other pitching depth can take over. Look, if you're not at least holding on Nolan Gorman, you're admitting that there is nothing in your pipeline because without Nolan Gorman, you have nothing coming up in terms of offense. So I'm going to go with what we've been told, which is the dumbest thing I think I've said today, and it's only 1145, but I'm holding on Nolan Gorman because, clear. because the Cardinals are telling us that uh, this guy's the, the real deal. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and buy on Libertor as well. I'm, I'm buying what they're selling. If this guy can be really good for them, it, it, it really can help their rotation. Young cost controlled pitching is the name of the game. The Cardinals have it right now. And it appears that they they got even more of it with Libertor. Still a bad trade. Didn't work out because of what the Cardinals needed versus what they got in Libertor. But buying on his stock, holding on Alex Reyes. I still think he's got a little something that we haven't seen yet. He's the worst case scenario for Alex Reyes at this point is that he's a really, really, really dynamic reliever for mm-hmm. you. That's still a nice player to have at his cost. I'm selling a Norm- this Nolan is, this Gorman. This is because you hate Nolan Gorman. I want to like Nolan Gorman. <laughs> but what in Nolan Gorman's prospect status right now tells you that he's going to be a different player in the big leagues from what we've seen out of Tyler O'Neill. He O'Neal. hits home runs. Nobody's got power like him, BK. Tyler O'Neill hit home runs in the minors. Hey, nobody's got power like Tyler O'Neill. Nolan Gorman actually strikes out more in the minors than Tyler O'Neill. I don't care. Nolan Gorman in 2018 and A ball struck out 36% of his plate appearances. In 2019, again an A ball struck out in 29% of his plate appearances. He's 19 years old. 2019 struck out in 32% of his plate appearances in high A ball. Okay, so he's 20 years old. He's still young. I hope he's going to be really good. The Cardinals need him to be really good. But so far, there are some real concerns about what the profile is that he has. Cardinals fans, if if he can bring that power, it is something that you're going to like. But those strikeouts are definitely going to be there. And if you don't like what you're getting right now out of Tyler O'Neill, it looks looks right now he can develop looks right now that it could be something pretty similar with Nolan Gorman. Those in the strikeouts are going to be there until Jeff Albert's system. Good point. Comes into play. Good point. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service tax slide. We will get into some questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We did get one earlier today. 65780 from the 314. Hey, guys, have you seen anything about Mizzou's National Signing Day success? How about Eli Drinkwitz getting another commit to flip to the Tigers? Have you been paying attention to this, Ferrario? BK, for the first time since maybe college, I have been locked in on National Signing Day. Little bit that says of what Mizzou's been going through for so long, but more of it says what Eli Drinkowitz has done with this team. So right now, according to Rivals, which is kind of the, the number one recruiting source over at Power Mizzou and Rivals National Network, Mizzou is ranked as the 20th best recruiting class in the country, it's which incredible. would be the best by a Mizzou squad since Rival started tracking these things 20 years ago. Wow. It would be literally the best ranking Mizzou's ever had in recruiting by Rivals. Earlier today, there's really been one surprise so far. Otherwise, Mizzou's pretty much done what they expected to do, and it's it's a really good class. You could tell that based on the ranking alone. Earlier today, just like in February on National Signing Day, when Eli Drinkwitz got a huge commitment from Enos Rakestraw, the cornerback out of Texas, who had offers at the time from Texas and Alabama and Missouri. Those were the three hats, right? They've got the ceremony. They've got three hats set up in front of them. This is pre-COVID when we could still do this. Which, as a Missouri fan, are you looking at that going, why is the hat even up there? <laughs> like, get it off. I remember the the DGB one was something similar. Right? Oh, yeah. I was like, hold on. <laughs> What's happening Why are here? we even doing this to ourselves? So he had the three hats and he ended up picking up Missouri. He's now at Mizzou. He's starting as a true freshman. Well, Arden Walker, a defensive end out of Colorado, Denver area, had something similar earlier today. It was CU, the home state school, UCLA, go to play for Chip Kelly at UCLA or Mizzou. Those were his three options for this Arden Walker three-star defensive end out of Denver area. A lot of the... um, The momentum was going towards UCLA in the last 48 hours or so. Suddenly, he decides to pick Mizzou. Comes out of nowhere. Nobody expected it. Nobody saw it coming. Eli Drinkwitz is an absolute magician, man. His recruiting is unbelievable. What is he doing that is just bringing, like, what is he doing that is flipping these guys' mindsets so easily? Like, to have your state school in front of you. And to go to Mizzou, I mean, Colorado to Missouri, those are two very different things. He's out here recruiting, man. He's out here recruiting. Damn, drink. It's it's really impressive. Um, he He's a natural salesman. You, I mean, we've had him on the air, right? You've, you've talked with yeah. Eli Drinkwitz. We've heard him in his press conferences. He's really good in front of the media. Now imagine him talking to 18-year-old kids talking to their moms their dads i mean he's he's a really good recruiter and he's put together a staff of other guys that are really good recruiters and this is what happens you know it's just it's a very different recruiting style than what we've seen for the last 15 years at mizzou prior to eli drink how much of the perception to bk and i know it hasn't been this way i mean look the offensive line is getting represented in the nfl from the missouri tigers but how much is it that you're seeing products from Mizzou playing in the NFL as well. So it helps. Absolutely. I think sometimes we overestimate how much that matters. Mm -hmm. Typically kids commit to coaches, right? right? It's why whenever a coach decides to go elsewhere, you see so many decommits. We're we're seeing that right now with Auburn. There's a bunch of Auburn commits that are going to end up going elsewhere because Gus Malzahn, the coach that they committed to is no longer there. So 
it's more about the coaches and those relationships than anything else. But facilities really matter. These guys really care about where they're going and where they're playing. Uh, Prestige for a lot of these guys really matters. Can you get me to the NFL? It's different for everybody, but um, there's a million different things that come into it. And right now, Mizzou's got a lot of those boxes that are checked for them. Killing a drink. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 804 guys. Why don't we compare Tyler O'Neill to Marco Gonzalez the way that we are demanding Libertor must perform after what we traded for him with Randy Rosarena? Well, for me, it's simple. It's one, Marco Gonzalez is not doing what Randy Rosarena did in the short time frame. I mean, look, Randy Rosarena was Babe Ruth for the postseason. Marco Gonzalez has been a very reliable pitcher. But if you put Marco on this team, I think he's a third pitcher in your rotation. But it also comes down to the fact that you're deep at pitching and you're not really too concerned about it. I think that is the part that I would kind of latch on to. For me, the reason why the Randy Orozarena trade never really made sense was because the Cardinals were dealing from a position of weakness for a position of strength. They already have really good pitching. We just went through this earlier today. There's like legitimately... 10 to 15 options in the rotation for 2022. Yeah. That means you've got young guys that you already believe in in that rotation that are options for you. Meanwhile, in the outfield, I mean, I guess you do technically have options, but you don't feel great about any of them moving forward outside of Dylan Carlson. And you didn't have power options. Absolutely. And so when you look at the Tyler O'Neill trade for uh, Marco Gonzalez, at least they were dealing for a position of weakness. They needed power in the outfield. They thought Tyler O'Neill could provide it, and they had that strength in the rotation. So I understand that made a lot more sense organizationally. It's the opposite with the Randy Rosarena trade. You were dealing from your weakness for your strength, and so that was always where I was just, I was confused about it. It yeah. didn't make a ton of sense to me. With, with Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next... Are we going to get some sort of a resolution from Major League Baseball? Are they actually going to be able to play a full 162? Bob Nightingale broke the story yesterday that once again, we're expecting another standoff between these two sides. He'll tell us the latest coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Danny Max going to join us coming up in about 30 minutes or so. Want to get into the Cardinals pitching situation with him. What does the future look like for the rotation? We'll do that coming up at 1230. But right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Bob Nightingale. He's a baseball columnist for USA Today. And yesterday, he wrote the story titled, Start of the baseball season could be delayed. Bob Nightingale joining us now. Bob, how you doing today? Yeah, doing great. How about you guys? Uh, doing all right. Would be better if you didn't have to write this story, which seemingly is Groundhog Day for all of us. From what you understand, Bob, what is the latest with this? Are, are the negotiations already underway, or where are we at with baseball potentially starting a delayed season? Well, they've had negotiations, but so far not about the delay. Uh, right now, the union is you know, putting, putting some feet in the sand and saying we're not budging. We want a Hershey two-game season. Now, if you want to talk about moving it back and we still get the 162 win, or if you want to play fewer games and we still get the 100% pay, that's up to you. But we're not taking a pay cut. And, uh, you know, MLB is saying, well, we're not going to have any fans. Let's, let's push this back up four to six weeks. Uh, by the time everybody shows up for spring training, 
hopefully by the time the season starts, most guys will have uh, uh, the vaccines and, and maybe uh, fans will as well, where you can have fans in the ballpark. So I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a health and safety thing as well as economic. Uh, obviously, Rob Manfred said the teams lost about $3 billion last year. And, you know, uh, once this vaccine starts to get widespread, I mean, you know, there, there might be some places where it won't have any fans until the second half of the season. Bob, I got to tell you, nothing really should surprise me when it comes to Major League Baseball, but I was a little taken back when I saw the phrasing, not a snowball's chance that this starts on time. Were you a little taken back by how forceful of a comment that was from one of the National League uh, owners? Well, I think it's a situation where just the owners uh, are upset about how much money they've lost. You know, it's a uh, a deal where a... uh, you know, uh, they, they lost over, you know, $100, $150 million per c- club last year and saying, you know, we, we don't want to go through this again. Let's just push this back until we get the vaccine out there. You know, help us out a little bit. And, you know, and I think it's shown. I mean, look at all the layoffs and, and the uh, uh, organizations have had. Also look at the, uh, you know, uh, the fact no one's, you know, spending any bit, big money this offseason so far. So, you know, I think the money losses are, are, are real and I think they say well we just push it back you know at least a, a month or six weeks give us time to uh, you know try to recoup some of these losses to get some fans in the ballpark who knows if we'll ever have 100% capacity you know in 2021 and we'll see how you know fearful fans are about all showing up and sitting shoulder to shoulder with strangers. We're talking to Bob Nightingale, MLB insider and columnist for USA Today, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Bob, one thing that I was thinking about that I had in the back of my mind because kind of as I was reading your story is, okay, so if they want to push the season back, I, I think everybody honestly would be fine with that at this point. Like we've got football, college football going into December. You have the NBA season was pushed all the way into July and even later hockey was playing the Stanley cup in July. You had um, the masters going on in the fall. Like the seasons are totally out of whack now. So that's fine. Why not though, do what they did this year where you push it back a little bit, but then you play the seven inning double headers to be able to at least make up the game. So if you start a month later, you could still technically get 162 games in. Are are they considering doing something like that? Well, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, I don't think they want to go back to seven inning things that just, you know, really distort statistics, record books and everything else with complete games and shutouts and that sort of thing. It also doesn't do a whole lot for the owners of pocketbooks as far as uh, double headers. I mean, if you have seven inning double headers, you know, then you know when are you knocking off the beer sales, the fifth inning or so, or the, or the, or the fourth inning, uh, you know, less concessions, less souvenirs bought, everything else. So I think they still want to go back to nine innings. Uh, you know, could could push the season through November, but does, does Fox TV, does ESPN really want that competing head to head? Uh, in, in the heart of the NFL season, worked with a playoff push. So a lot of factors that, that way. You know, I think if the MLB had their brothers, they'd have a you know, 130 to 140-game season go from there. And, you know, uh, baseball union is saying, well, you can do that, but we still want 100% of our salary. So, you know, we, we took a 67% pay cut last year, and we were able to you know, pull through this. We can do it again. 
Bob, I know this this sounds like crazy talk, but because of these back and forths and everything that's taken place from last year to this year and probably expecting it next offseason when it comes to the big CBA negotiation, is there any chance Major League Baseball or either side starts to say, you know what, maybe we should start considering some type of cap floor or salary cap to benefit the future of baseball? Well, I mean, the uh, MLB had <clears throat> pushed an idea out there and you know you didn't want to hear it. Uh, you know, if they had just split the revenue last year, hey, maybe uh, there would have been more money for the, uh, the the players. Not sure about that. But, yeah, they've really staunchly fought against that. The problem we have is that, you know, the union doesn't want the salary cap, but these uh, teams, the owners, are using the leisure tax almost like a hardline salary cap. I think there's only three teams that went above it last year, you know, the Yankees, uh, the Cubs, and the, the Dodgers, and they barely went over it. So, yeah, the trouble is now is, you know, it'd be, it would be nice to get a floor, you know, make teams spend at least $100 million and go that route, but you can't have a floor without a cap. It, it, that lies the problem. It would also be nice, Bob, to know whether or not the Cardinals are going to have the designated hitter next <laughs> season. I think uh, John Mosellock would certainly like to know that as he's kind of going out there shopping on the free agent market right now. Do we have any update on what the latest is there? Is any is there any sort of a timeline on when we will know one way or the other whether or not the National League will once again adopt the DH in 2021? I'd be stunned if there's not a universal DH. I, I think it's coming for sure. They just haven't agreed on it. I mean, so far, you know, the owners had t- told the union, hey, you can have the DH, but give us expanded playoffs. The union say, well, expanded playoffs are worth a whole lot more than DH. You know, both sides want it, and I think both sides want expanded playoffs too. Not 16 teams, but 14 or, you know, at least 12 instead of the uh, tenants that's been in the past. So but I think the DH is coming. I know they told clubs they don't count on it, but – uh, I think the back of every National League Joe Manager's mind is like, hey, we better get a uh, a hitter that can be a uh, a full time DH. If nothing else, that extra bat just rotate guys through that DH position. Speaking of the DH, Bob, I, I saw yesterday you tweeting out some comments from Scott Boris, of course, uh, a, a <laughs> player agent who is very fruitful with his comments every once in a while. Uh, what did you take away from your com- your your conversation with Scott about everything that's going on in the back and forth between the players in the Major League Baseball? Well, he's upset they weren't at least 100 games played last year at 120. Uh, he thinks that should be a, a full season. He also uh, you know, raises doubts that he doesn't think teams lost money, they lost profits. Uh, you know, I don't think you know, I don't think anyone really agrees with that. <laughs> I mean, teams aren't just laying off 100 employees just for the fun of it. I mean, there's there's some real losses. Now there's been a, you know massive gains too over the years too, and it's just you know a down year, almost like the stock market type thing. So his thing is, uh, you know, particularly points out the Mets here. The Mets are sold for record, you know record uh, price last year in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, these teams are still making a ton of money. So he believes that, you know, all these teams, uh, particularly the big boys, you know, Cubs, St. Louis, you know, Yankees, Mets, just spent all kinds of money. Final question for you, Bob. We're talking with Bob Nightingale, MLB insider and columnist for USA Today. Give him a follow on Twitter at B Nightingale. Bob, what do you think the Cardinals are going to do? Because we're getting pretty pessimistic out here that there's going to be a whole lot of activity. But what do you, if you had to, if I asked you right now, your opinion on what John Mosellock ends up doing at the end of the offseason, what do you think he gets done? I think he'll get a corner outfielder somewhere. 
you know, like like a Schwarber type guy. I'm not saying Schwarber, but just a, a big bat uh, for the lineup, and then then go from there. And uh, you know, I don't expect him at all to be in the Nolan Arenado sweepstakes, or you know, going after a, a George Springer, or certainly certainly not a Trevor Bauer, that sort of thing. But just kind of lay back like they always do, and you know, try to. Uh, you know, get guys at, at at cheaper prices. You know, that's the way they've always conducted business. It's worked for them, and certainly, you know, fortunate that they're in the right uh, right division. I mean, look at NL Central. You know, there's teams cutting back and everything else, rebuilding. There's not one team in the division that's actually spending money in in, in trying to uh, you know make drastic improvements. You know, even even the Reds are cutting back after making the playoffs last year. So I think the division, you know, which might be the worst in baseball, is going to be wide open. Uh, you know, and certainly, you know, if, if you're a Cardinal fan, you, you hate to see the Cubs able to kind of rebuild but stay competitive at the same time. But if nobody wants to uh, kind of go for the gusto here, it allows them to hang around. Well, Bob, I'm sure a lot of our fan base is going to love hearing that. At, <laughs> at least you think they're going to get a corner outfielder. That that is that is more than some of our listeners are thinking right now. Bob, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you and the family, and have a happy holidays. You too, my pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, That's Bob Nightingale here on 101 ESPN. All right, he said at one point, "quote Both sides want the DH. Both sides want expanded playoffs too, but they're negotiating right now. Why?" <laughs> Why? This would be like if my boss came to me and this like during the when I, whenever I got promoted, right? Uh, when my boss came Bragger. to me <laughs> and said, "Hey, we want to give you the midday show," and I said, "Yeah, I want the midday show." And then he was like, yeah, but we need to negotiate this thing. Um, what if we talked about, you know, maybe during the midday show we get. Like, no, just accept it. We accept it and move on, right? If both of us want something, if both of us want to go to Starbucks today to grab a coffee together, right? And we're like, yeah, but, you know, next week, do we want to go to Chick-fil-A for lunch or Chipotle? Just agree on the Starbucks and we'll get to the other thing at a later date. We can figure this all out. Major League Baseball, though, has to make everything a negotiation. Well, if you're trying to be optimistic, BK, which we do here on BK and Ferrario, at least they agree. Right? At least we agree. Yeah, you may agree and then still think you got to talk and negotiate, but at least we agree. It's freaking mid-December, man. I know. <laughs> Baseball sucks, plain and simple. Uh, you know what? January is the new December. A wise man once said that. It is 1214, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson yeah. Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We will get into the Cardinals pitching with Danny Mack coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, how many teams can realistically win the Super Bowl this year? I'm not talking about the Cowboys. I know they could technically still win the NFC East. Nobody thinks they can win the Super Bowl. How many teams can realistically get to the big game and win the big game? We'll give you our answers on that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack's going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes or so. I want to ask him, hey, you know, with how many options the Cardinals have in the rotation for 2022, does that change the need for Adam Wainwright next year? We'll talk about that with Danny Mack coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But right now, how many NFL teams could actually win the Super Bowl this year? Now, like teams that will make the playoffs. So technically, kind of the conversation we have about the Major League Baseball playoffs, right? If you get in, anything can happen. No. 
realistically, you view them as contenders to win the Super Bowl based on what they've done so far this year. And it wouldn't be like, holy cow, how did that team get here? I think this is as wide open a field as I have maybe ever seen, honestly. I think the Chiefs should be and are the favorites in the AFC. I think in the NFC, if, it's a big if, Drew Brees comes back healthy, the Saints should and will be the favorites in the NFC. That does not mean they're overwhelming favorites, though, that cannot be beat. There are a lot of questions about the Saints, even when Drew Brees gets back. There are huge questions about the Packers. What is that defense going to be? I think there are fair questions right now about the Chiefs, who have played five straight one-possession games against teams like the Panthers, Raiders, Broncos, and Dolphins. There are real questions to be asked there. So for you, Ferrario, I just mentioned those are the favorites. How many teams do you think, let's start with the AFC. How many AFC teams right now can realistically say, at the end of the year, they're actually Super Bowl contenders right I now? have four. I have four in the AFC. And look, the Chiefs are the obvious one. Um, I truly still believe that the Steelers can make damage in a Super Bowl. That's really going to come down to, though, the defense being able to step up without Bud Dupree and the injuries that they've suffered. I don't know if they'll be able to handle the chiefs, but look, you've seen crazier things and that sure. offense can do a lot. What people don't expect them to do. Um, I put the bills on here. I understand what we talked about earlier with this chiefs team, but look, if that defense can at least just solidify itself, which I don't think you can compete with the chiefs untouchable offense, but you can make some type of noise and look, if they get the elite playmaking from a Stefan Diggs and find some way to get the running game going, I think they can make some noise. And then that fourth team for me is the Browns. And I know that sounds crazy, but again, we've seen them put up 40 plus points multiple times this season. The offense can do it. It's just about what defense shows up and it's about what Baker Mayfield shows up. But this is two straight games now, BK with Baker Mayfield showing everyone that he is not this disappointment. So I have four teams, at least in the AFC. The disrespect that you are showing right now to the Titans is unbelievable, man. Especially for how long I've talked about them. I mean, the Titans right now, if you look at the AFC's highest scoring offenses, do you know how many AFC teams have more points scored this year than the Tennessee Titans? I'd say one. One. Chiefs? The Chiefs have outscored them on the season in 13 games by 13 points. They have an average of one point per game more than the Tennessee Titans have on the year. Okay, but let's talk about the defense that probably is allowing. It hasn't been great. The (laughs) most points of any team in the AFC, probably. It hasn't been great on the defensive side of the ball. It also probably hasn't been quite as bad as you would think. They've allowed fewer points on the season, for instance, uh, than the Denver Broncos, who some people still think has a decent defense. Mm -hmm. And it's like an extra 10 points compared to the bills so it's like an extra point per game defensively that they're allowing compared to the bills they're scoring one point fewer per game than the chiefs they're kind of in that in-between range right i think the titans are a super bowl contender i really do man i am believing in what i'm seeing right now from ryan Tannehill. Corey davis and aj brown are both game changers derrick henry can wreck a defense at a moment's notice he's one of the very few that on any carry any carry he could go for 90 yards and a touchdown that's very rare in today's game from running backs. He's one of the very few difference makers at that position. So I have the same other four bills, Steelers, Browns and chiefs. 
But I'm going to go ahead and add the Titans into that list right you now. Know, frankly, I think there are five in the AFC. Frankly, that is amazing because I have been pumping the tires of the Titans all season and I didn't pick them, but I'm going to stick with it. I just don't think that defense. Uh, uh, you said it yesterday, right? Like the only way a team beats the Chiefs in a playoff game is in a shootout. That's the Titans. But I think they're going to be playing catch up shootout with their defense being as bad as it's been. The fact that there's five teams in the AFC is pretty wild. Yeah. Again, we're all taking the Chiefs, I think. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I think if you text it in right now, the vast majority of you would say, as of today, if you had to pick one, you'd pick the Chiefs. Right. But if I told you you cannot pick the Chiefs, you have to pick one of the other teams, I think we would get some representative of all four of those other options. And that's how open it is right now. In the NFC, <laughs> I actually think it is the same way for me. I've got five teams in the NFC as well. See, I only have four in the NFC. Okay. And I might be missing. So my four Packers, obviously, Saints, that's going to be if Drew Brees comes back, fine. And then I got the Rams and the Seahawks. No Bucks. I don't have the Bucks, which I probably should have the Bucks. But I'm Would just. Would you be stuck if the end of the season. We, we're in Super Bowl week, right? You know, that you have that one week off, right? right. We're in that week between the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. And we're on here talking about how this how the Buccaneers made it to the Super Bowl. You mean we're not talking about the Pro Bowl? You wouldn't be surprised by that, right? It, it wouldn't shock you if during that week we're like, wow, the, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of all teams made it to the Super Bowl. That wouldn't shock me. No, that that wouldn't shock me, but it also wouldn't shock me if I said that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got knocked out in the first round. No, I could see it going either way. Absolutely. They're, they're the team right now for me that has the wide, one of the widest gaps in the NFL of yeah. would not surprise me at all if they lose in the first round of the playoffs to whoever comes out of the NFC East. Like I, That wouldn't shock me. I just I feel like right now Brady's broken. And look, I understand that, that, I get it. that he won the game, but... I mean, it wasn't so much him throwing the deep ball, and that's not what Tom Brady does this past weekend. I mean, he was throwing like 15, 20 yard plays, and he was overthrowing his guys. Like, he just doesn't look. And again, maybe this is just regular season Tom, and once postseason Tom comes in, everyone else just looks like a joke. But he just doesn't look like somebody right now that can do it. I totally understand where you're coming from, and you're right. He feels broken to me. But then I look at the numbers. Like if I just if I was an alien that came down to Earth right now and I was like being shown football, right? And somebody explained the statistics to me. If you told me, hey, this guy has 30 touchdowns and 11 interceptions through his first 13 games, I'd be like, wow, that must be a really good quarterback. He must be yeah. having a really good season. Now, as we're in the middle of it, it feels like he's broken, as you said. But 30 touchdowns and 11 picks is really, really good, man. I just think it's those 11 picks that stick out to me because the weapons that he has and us talking about the GOAT, Tom Brady, those 11 picks are abnormal. I think there are 10 teams today that can win the Super Bowl. 10. I Maybe there's been another season in recent memory that feels this wide open. I'm sure there has, and I'm just misremembering it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you can remember one that was this wide open. But... There are favorites. There are. I think there are also a lot, a lot of really good teams this year in a way that I I can't remember there being this many teams that I could really see making a run in the past. And even like we didn't mention the Ravens or the Dolphins yeah. or the Colts as real contenders in the AFC because I don't see any of them as real contenders. But they're all good. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if the Dolphins pull off an upset in the first round. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Colts end up pulling off an upset against either the Browns or the Steelers in the in the first round of the playoffs. These teams are all still pretty capable, but 
we, we don't view them that way because of how many other good contenders there are. You know, right it's now. interesting, though. Those three teams you just said are all in the AFC. And, and that's the league that we are the conference. We all sit here and say, well, it's 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 easy to know who's going to win. Mm-hmm. The NFC is the one we continue to talk about and say, well, it's wide open. There's so many teams. But other than the four or five teams that we named, there's nobody else in that conference that you sit here and say, well, they could legitimately make some noise like the Dolphins, the Colts or the Ravens can. Basically, what we're talking about here is the teams in the NFC today that would make the playoffs that we don't think can win the Super Bowl are Washington. In other words, the placeholder from the (laughs) NFC East. And we all would agree with that. Insert name here. And then the Cardinals. Yep. And the Cardinals are the other team that we none of us, at least the two of us in this room, do not believe in right now. And in the AFC, it really is. It's those last two wildcard teams, the Colts and the Dolphins. And then you're not in right now on the Titans, which I, I think is a mistake. I yeah. think you will live to regret that opinion. Derek Henry will make me regret that. He's made me regret a lot of things. <laughs> I don't play him enough in fantasy football. Like lifting that is in certain. high school made me regret that. Well, I, I don't think there was any chance of you looking like Derek Henry. Maybe, maybe, right? <laughs> With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Danny Mack about what the Cardinals rotation could look like next year and how they might have their mind on 2022 whenever they're constructing that 2021 rotation. Danny Mack will explain coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's my favorite time of the week. It is time to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the host of Scoops with Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster as well. He is Dan McLaughlin. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Favorite time of the week, huh? You That's believe right. that, Dan? You guys don't mean it. You mean the world to me, Dan, and I always enjoy having you on, and we appreciate your time. So, oh, stop. Dan, stop. earlier today, we talked about the Cardinals' rotation plans because I think we all kind of know the way that it's set up for this upcoming season, whether, whether or not they bring back Adam Wainwright. We started looking kind of towards 2022 because I think that's... Wow. Well, let's get through 2021. Listen. Can we just have a season? Hey, Listen. we're optimists, Dan. We believe 2021 is going to be a regular season. How many games are we going to get in? 162. I love it. Probably closer to like 120. <laughs> um, so KK's a free agent after next year. Carlos likely going to be a free agent after next year. Wayno probably no, will be a free agent next year. Okay. Wayno uh, likely will be gone, done, retired at that point. So going into 2022, Dan, for some of our listeners, who do you think would be the options for the rotation at that point with Hudson potentially back, Flaherty and Michaelis obviously being kind of the three stalwarts that you'd expect? Well, I'd have to say that Thompson would be a potential option. I would have to say Libertor more than likely would be an option. Alex Reyes would be uh, somebody off the top of my head would be an option. There's a lot of guys that they have. I mean, you got Gomber, you got Daniel Ponce de Leon. Uh, Cardinals can get creative with that. But I would really look at the first three that I mentioned, especially Libertor, with as much as they have given up. And you know they're going to try to show that they gave up something and want to get something massive in return uh, when you think of what Randy Rosarena is now doing in Tampa Bay. And we'll see if that continues this year. But as we speak uh, coming off this offseason, I, I would think Matthew Libertor would be the guy that would be somebody that, that fits into that rotation spot. And I really did find it interesting what most said in his zoom call last week which was hey we we think that matthew libertor might even see some time this year that that took me off guard i I did not anticipate that but 
that would be potentially maybe one of those late season call-ups that you hear about. And Zach Thompson, guys, when I saw him in spring training, I was even a little bit surprised that we didn't even see him uh, last year as good as he was in spring training. Now, albeit he's had, what, 15 professional innings, I get it, but he's got the college pedigree. Some guys make that jump, but he was fantastic in spring training last year. And with the way that everybody needed innings and trying to be careful with arms, um, you know, you throw out the book in 2020 and just try to get through the season. So uh, I would say that those would be out of that trio. Those are the, you know, those three guys would be people that I would look towards in 2022. Does that change at all the need for Adam Wainwright in 2021, Dan? That's kind of the reason why I wanted to get into this because uh, suddenly you're kind of having a numbers crunch in a good way, right? It's good to have good options, but it's similar to what you have in the outfield where there's only so many at bats out there and there's so only so many starts to go around with the rotation does it kind of make you want to see what Gomber or Ponce could do this year so that way we know before then including guys like Libertor and Thompson in the rotation going into 2022 well you haven't mentioned Michaelis and I think you got to feel very comfortable with what you have in him coming back this year with his health now John Mosellock did mention last week that he had been hanging around in St. Louis and visiting with the medical team was at Bush Stadium and by all accounts has been healthy, I, I think that's part of the equation. And if he's healthy enough to give you, let's say we do have a 162-game season, and Alex, I'd love your positivity towards that that's right, direction. Danny. That's right. And we see 30 starts out of Michaelis, and you don't sign Wainwright, then that lessens the blow. If not, you got a couple of spots that you got to fill with Wainwrights being one of them. And then, uh, you know, I, I think then you, then all bets are off. Then I think there there does come a time where you got to look at, at bringing back Adam Wainwright on some kind of insane uh, incentive laden deal. So, Dan, I'm curious. I want to stick with the pitching one more because uh, this season, the Cardinals obviously are wanting to know what they have in a couple of pitchers. I'm going to give you four names and tell me in terms of this season how you view the importance of learning who they are and the most are the least important. So Carlos Martinez, Alex Reyes, Ponce de, uh, de Leon, and, and uh, Austin Gomber. Well, I, I think Martinez is still <laughs> – it shouldn't be this way, but I talked about it with Randy this morning um, – I think he has to reestablish himself again. If he wants to be a starter, it's, it's, it, he's going to have to come out guns a-blazing in spring training and, and blow the, the lights away and blow the doors off, so to speak, and, and say to everybody, I'm here and I'm, I'm so impressive, you cannot keep me out of the rotation. But I, I thought at the end of last season, his velocity was down. And his ERA as a starter and reliever going into last season was about the same, surprisingly. But I like him in the back end of games, and that also dovetails into what's my availability with Jordan Hicks? What do I feel comfortable with in the back end of games? Austin Gomber, to me, is a starter. I, I would pencil him in in my rotation. Daniel Ponce de Leon is enticing, but at one point last year, he was down in the minor leagues and then out of necessity. You had to bring him back up. Now, he did pitch well, and I think that you know, you, you've got something there. It's just a matter of trying to figure it all out and piece it all together, but it's really been up and down. Alex Reyes is a wild card with this, and as long as he's healthy, and that's always been the question with him. And finally, I felt like he was letting it loose last year and so exciting with triple digits, and his stuff is so nasty. It's just a matter of can he be consistent every fifth day. If you get consistency out of him every fifth day, he's in your rotation, and he's a number one or a number two. He's that good. He's that dominant. Um, then you find out more about him going into next season, which is kind of what you're trying to figure out yeah. with your outfielders, too. 
that's when I think you're figuring out about Alex Reyes as well. We're talking to Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. Dan, another place, speaking of figuring out what you have, third base is a spot that I've kind of been focusing on lately because as much as we've talked about adding the corner outfield bat and the left-hander that can mash right-handed pitching, it's crowded out there right now. And until they get the DH, it just seems unlikely to me that they're going to be able to add somebody. Hopefully we get that DH. But at third base... It's something that we haven't really talked a whole lot about, but right now the only guy that's returning that could take those at-bats is Matt Carpenter. Is there any other option right now in the system, in your opinion, that could also, whether it be a platoon or just spelling Matt Carpenters or somebody else internally that they could turn to at four at-bats at third base right now? Well, I think you have to look at Tommy Edmond and then look at somebody else at second base. Okay. Um, you know, I think that would be one of the options that, that Tommy gives you with his flexibility, especially if Carpenter is struggling. You could put Tommy there, and then even Edmundo Sosa could give you at-bats at, at third base. I, I really like Sosa. I don't know what happened to him physically. I thought he had a very good spring. This time last year, he was tearing up winter ball and was finally showing power to where it caught the eyes of the Cardinals in their front office and then showed it in spring training. When you look at him defensively, he can flat out pick it, guys. I mean, he's as good defensively as the Cardinals have on their middle infield or even at third base. So defensively, you're not going to lose a lot. As a matter of fact, you might gain in some spots. So that is a plus. It's just a matter of seeing what he can do offensively. He's just never gotten that shot. I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if he was hit with COVID because um, some of the guys were quiet about it uh, during the season. Um, so I'm not sure what happened exactly with that. I'm sure we'll get more answers if we get to get to go to spring training. But I think that would be an internal option. And then depending on where Nolan Gorman is by the end of the season, maybe he's one of those guys you get a, a little surprise with and gets a call up. Now, Gorman is the modern player. He's going to give you some strikeouts, but he's going to walk into some power, and that's the the modern player of 2020, especially at a corner spot. So maybe that is something that you buy some time with, even with Carpenter, if he struggles, getting you to Nolan Gorman. Dan, it's not if we get to spring training, it's when we get to spring I training. I love that. Come on, I'd buddy. love to hear that. Come on, buddy. I don't want to hear that we're not going to play is Montero, 162 games. Is Montero an option for you, Dan? Not yet. I think he's got to develop some more. Um, I know he's a prospect, and I know that they like him, but uh, from what I saw in spring training, in my opinion, BK, not yet. So, Dan, let me ask you then about Andrew Kisner, because I know a lot of people are curious about this, and especially with the news of Yachty not being happy with the offer that the Cardinals gave him. How are we supposed to view this catcher? Because we've been told that he can be a number one guy, but then there's Yvonne Herrera and the need to bring Yachty back, and if there's no Yachty to go out on the free agent market, I feel like we're getting a lot of mixed signals. Well, then it's time to find out, isn't it, about Kisner, kind of like the outfielders, too? I would have thought that a truncated season in 60 games may have been your time to find out about Andrew Kisner, especially with Weeders hobbling around with one leg and not hitting. But that wasn't the case, and you had definitely the need with 11 double headers, and yet he didn't play. Um, so maybe they didn't feel he was ready. Now, from what I saw, he, he has gotten better, way better defensively. Matter of fact, in summer camp, he had one inning in which he had two caught stealings of two of the fastest players the Cardinals have. Now, take that for what it is. It's summer camp, and he caught, I think it was Tyler O'Neill and Colt Long and, and caught stealings. But 
I don't know the inner workings enough because I didn't see him play enough of and talk, and I didn't have enough contact with being able to have private conversations of how is he calling a game, how is he managing his staff, which is something that will come into play with this. Um, there's some that believe that he can hit at this level, and that's what's carried him to this level, and that's why they made him switch position because they want to see him hit and believe he can develop into a catcher. Herrera, they believe, is probably a year and a half, two years away. And what I've seen with him is he's pretty darn good. He's he's going to be good. And that's why it's another checkbox in the Yachty Yes coming back market of a year and an option or two years and kind of bridging the gap. But uh, if not, internally, Kisner would be the guy. We're talking to Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mack is his show. You can hear it weekdays 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Also, scoops with DannyMack.com. Dan, last question that I had for you. Uh, yesterday, I was listening to, to an interview with Bill DeWitt Jr., and he said, quote, this coming year, we're going to learn a lot about the young outfielders. That was kind of the money quote that I took from it. I am curious, from your perspective, just if we, if I get you to go into your uh, Magic 8 ball right now, what do you think happens with the outfield? Do you think they add to this mix, or do you think they go into next season with the guys that we have right now to find out once and for all what they can actually bring to the table? Well, I, I think if they re-sign, depending on the price tag on Yachty and Wayno, if they come back, then that limits what they're going to spend in other places. If they don't, then potentially they could. Now, some of the guys that I thought that they might get, Hunter Renfro, David Dahl, are off the market now. Dahl, in, in particular, um, if they stay status quo... I think one of the things that they would look at is platooning potentially say that if you have Bader facing right-handed pitching, he sits, you could put somebody else in center, probably Dylan Carlson, and then give Tyler O'Neill a crack at, at playing left field and find out what you have there. And then also Lane Thomas and let those guys fight out. And if somebody gets hot, let them ride the hot hand. The problem is Tom, uh, uh, O'Neill has kind of gone the wrong direction when he's got a chance to play in OPS and slug. Um, obviously, we all think that Dylan Carlson since a pretty darn good player. We saw that the second time he's coming up. Bader, against right-handed pitching, has not had success. That's just flat out the way it's been in the minor leagues and the major leagues. But against left-handed pitching, there's there's something there, and he's elite defender. So they, they all have a skill set. It's just trying to figure out if one of them can take off. But I, to answer your question, BK, I, I think it comes down to the first two guys I mentioned, Yachty and Wayno. And if you don't sign them, then do you allocate those funds to the outfield? Dan, you're the absolute best, my friend. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow. I know you're pulling double duty right now. People will hear you 7 to 10 o'clock on Carriker and Smallman and then on your show as well from 10 to 11, Scoops with Danny Mack. Always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the fam. All right, guys. Thanks. You got it. That is Danny Mack joining us here on 101 ESPN. To his point there at the end, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, Ferrario, but if you're looking for a cheap way for the Cardinals to improve the outfield, it's very clearly at this point platooning. Harrison Bader against left-handed pitching in his career has an 855 OPS. George Springer in his career has an 852 OPS. So that's just a little bit of context on what that means. Harrison Bader, three points higher in OPS against left-handed pitching in his career than George Springer has in OPS in his career. Jock Peterson against righties has an 850 OPS. So you're basically getting the same production from Harrison Bader and Jock Peterson combined offensively as what you would expect to get offensively for George Springer, but you're getting it at, 
I mean, th- those two combined next year would probably make six and a half, seven million dollars. Meanwhile, George Springer is likely to get 20 to 25 million dollars on the open market. You would, of course, of course, rather have the one guy that can do it at all times, no matter who is up at uh, pitching, no matter what the matchup is. But if the Cardinals are unwilling, unable to go there with their money, doing a platoon like that, and it doesn't have to be Jock Peterson. I just happened to pull out his numbers, and it was pretty similar to George Springer. Whoever it is, you can get similar production offensively by platooning that center field spot. That same interview that you referenced with Dan about Bill DeWitt Jr. yesterday, I was listening to it also. They're still pumping up Justin Williams, and I know people don't want to hear it, because he's an unknown, and we all know what happens with unknown outfielders with the Cardinals, although maybe it's a Randy A situation. But I think he's going to be the free agent that everyone is hoping that the Cardinals sign. What a fascinating offseason this is. Fascinating offseason. It sucks, man, but well, it, hey. it, it is what it is. You know, yeah. there's, there's nothing we can do about it. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer, including what is, I think, the most unbelievable NFL injury report I have ever heard. We'll get into it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Ian Rappaport just reported what I believe to be one of the most unbelievable injury updates that I've ever heard. Let's dive into the junk drawer. So Ian Rappaport of NFL Network says that Lions potential Pro Bowl center Frank Ragnow, who did not practice today, an important note, suffered a fractured throat in the first quarter on Sunday. Hold on. What? He somehow found a way to finish the game, again, with a fractured throat. He has played the most snaps at the center uh, in the NFL this season. But listen to the end of this tweet for me and Rappaport. Quote, he could miss this week. You think? <laughs> could? A fractured throat? Dave Burkett who writes for uh, the Detroit Free Press, he is the Lions beat writer, added a little bit of context to the situation. Some more details on Ragnow's fractured throat. Good. The Lions are consulting with specialists on this right now. His airway and breathing is totally fine. He can eat, good to hear, but he's not supposed to talk. They're trying to determine how much time he's going to need to miss. Guys, he's done. I can determine that for you. The Lions are out of it. They stink. It is over for them. Frank Ragnow can go ahead and sit at home and not do anything the rest of the year. If he's not allowed to talk right now, I think it's okay if he takes the next few weeks off, Detroit. Look, look, you already I already fired your coach and GM. <laughs> Just go ahead and let the man take a, a sick day. Yeah, Good God. You're not going to get in, Detroit, so just enjoy yourself. Look, I, I know what my pain tolerance is, and I'm a wimp. But there are a few things that I sit there and cringe thinking about in a throat shot or fracturing your your whatever that is. Have you ever heard of this? No. I've never once heard somebody say, like, the game updates, right? You know how on Red Zone when you're watching, they say, you know, St- Stephon Diggs out with a uh, twisted ankle or whatever, right? Never once have I heard the anchor come on and say player x patrick mahomes out with a fractured throat like what i didn't even know you could fracture the throat i've been hitting the throat before and it hurts but i can only imagine when you fracture it um 
Yikes. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. I was going to ask this as well. How many hockey players would have played with a fractured throat? Probably oh, all of them. 100%. Jamie Rivers died on the ice and wanted to come back to play. Yep. I'm pretty sure in that game. Chris Pronger took a shot to the chest. His heart stopped. He laid on the ice. He waved off his trainers to help him off the ice, and he was going to stay on the ice. That's a hockey player. I don't even like getting like tapped in the throat. <laughs> much, much less. I don't know what the action was that caused this, but I would imagine it was rather significant if it ends. Yeah. Somebody just like took their forearm and shoved it into the gentleman's throat, fractured it. He continued playing. I would imagine was making the calls at the line of scrimmage because that's what the center does. And now he's been told by his doctors, hey, don't talk. You can eat. You can sleep. Do not speak right now. Okay, so you can eat, you can sleep, and you can play football. <laughs> no. Right? Technically, you don't need your throat to play football. Am I right? I disagree. I don't think you need it. You just don't talk. Ferrario, what do you have for okay. us today at the juncture? BK, um, I, I don't know how personal you want to get, but... Oh, boy. Uh, how... <laughs> I don't know. What, what, are, you, what, what, are your, you what are your biggest fears? Oh, heights. Heights? Heights okay. and fa- uh, feel of, fear of failure. <laughs> Which I would imagine that there's a good proportion Failure of our audience. Heights can go that same see way. See that uh, I, I reach that fear every day. <laughs> so, yeah, those Touché. are two. Touche. Okay, well, mine. Oh, depth, but, you know, that kind of uh, goes along no, with No, nobody heights. cares about that. Mine snakes, right? Like, we've talked sure. about this. I don't like snakes. So I want you to do something for me, BK. I want you to picture yourself out at a restaurant with your lovely fiance, Kara. Okay. Hey, Kara, I got to go to the bathroom. Okay, cool. I'll be right back. You're in the bathroom. You're sitting, you're taking care of business, you're emptying dinner, and all of a sudden the ceiling breaks above you. Okay. And out of the ceiling falls an eight-foot python onto your lap. I'm going to show you this video, and well, I'll Kara's this. got to figure her way out of the place, because I ain't helping her. I'm out of there. I am booking it straight for the door. Let me show you this picture of this uh, this eight-foot python, which I'll put out on Twitter oh, for everyone. This is a uh, This is nope. a monster, which I would imagine. Is that imagine. here? That, in no. St. Louis? No, that's the good thing. It's in Thailand, okay. so you don't have to worry about this. But this eight-foot python, BK, fell out of the ceiling while this gentleman was on the uh, the toilet and fell into his lap. I don't know about you, but my wife, Katie, would be driving herself home and she would probably be reporting a death of her husband yeah. because I would have passed out and probably died from from anxiety, uh, from, a, from a heart attack, because that's just frightening. I uh, I'm not a big snakes guy either. Uh, that doesn't probably surprise once again anybody in our audience. <laughs> not a huge fan. Not a big outdoors guy. Amen. Uh, not a big fisherman, if Amen. you will. Uh, not not really for me. If that happened to me, though, there would definitely be some lawsuits that were in hand. One of my, I don't need well, that in my it's life. It's in Thailand, and I don't know how many lawsuits you can get away with in Thailand. One of For my sure. biggest fears is sitting on the toilet and a snake coming up out of the toilet. Like, I'm not joking. That, the irrational fear yes. of it potentially, like, coming up. and I have OCD, and I will flush the toilet two or three times before I sit down, just to make sure. I feel like I know far too much about well, your restroom habits. I'm sorry, is this, is this BK and Ferrario? Is this a partnership? It is. We're going to learn a lot about each other. I, I, Maybe I'm too much. learning that very quickly. Maybe too much, but what, what, what do I care? He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Yesterday, we talked about Nolan Arenado. I know. I know. We're all sick of hearing about that right now. However, I do think that there is an interesting hypothetical scenario. 
If I told you you could get one of the two, you could either get the free agent next offseason that plays shortstop, whoever your favorite guy is, or get Nolan Arnauto now at a reduced rate. Which one do you think is more likely for the Cardinals? I'll explain why I think it's almost certainly the latter. Speaking of Nolan Arenado, when you return on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. A year plus ago, fellas, if you told me Nolan was going to get traded, I'd say, no way, it's not going to happen. Now, if we all read about it tomorrow or next week that he got traded to whether it be the Cardinals or, or another team um, for several players, I would not be shocked in the least bit. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Drew Goodman. Car, Rocky's broadcaster joining us last week talking about how suddenly wouldn't be quite as surprised if Nolan Arenado was traded this offseason. It's 102, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So Ben Fredrickson, I was reading his chat the other day. He had a very similar hypothetical to what we discussed yesterday about Nolan Arenado. Alex, he said, quote, what if the Cardinals convinced the Rockies to offload an unhappy star and his mega salary by accepting the contracts of Matt Carpenter? Tyler O'Neill, Carlos Martinez, and one of the third base prospects currently in the Cardinals system. Carpenter and O'Neill could both do some serious damage in that thin air. Carlos would also be able to get a fresh start. We talked about something similar yesterday, basically. The the idea is the Cardinals are making what is a quote-unquote cash-neutral deal for next year where you're offloading salaries while also bringing something on. So in this rough year for them, they're not spending quite the same amount of money. I'm starting to think that if they're going to add a big time player to the mix in the next calendar year, that's the way they're going to have to do it. Because as I went back yesterday, Alex, and looked into the big time free agents that the Cardinals have acquired over the last decade, there aren't a whole lot of options. And I think this is what Cardinals fans get frustrated by is the list that I'm about to give you. The multi-year, $10-plus million free agents the Cardinals have signed over the last decade. Multi-years, $10-plus million per season. Andrew Miller, he got two years, $25 million. Dexter Fowler, five years, $82.5 million. Mike Leake, five and 80. Johnny Peralta, four and $53 million. Carlos Beltran, tremendous signing, but short-term, two years, $26 million. And then Matt Holliday, who technically reached free agency, although on the Cardinals, seven years, $120 million. That was the last mega deal that they gave out to somebody that was technically a free agent. Now, they have given out big contracts, but it's been for guys that they have traded for. And this kind of goes back to the Matt Holliday discussion, traded for and then re-signed, mm-hmm. right? They don't play in these waters that we're talking about in next year's free agent class. They never do it. They very rarely give out more than a five-year contract to players. All of the guys in next year's shortstop class are going to want more than five years on their deal. They're all going to want more than $20 million per season on that deal. And they're all free agents, which which means there's bidding as opposed to what you saw from Paul Goldschmidt, who was exclusively negotiating with the St. Louis Cardinals. And I think Scott Boris is the agent for at least three of those shortstops that are hitting the market. So the reason why I bring all of this up is because if you're a Cardinals fan, you probably do and frankly should want a superstar player in the next calendar year Mm -hmm. because that's what this upcoming year is all about, right? Get this money off of the books so that way we can bring more money in for players that are going to better help our team win. I think the most likely 
outcome, if you're going to be able to add one of these players, is still Nolan Arenado. We've talked ad nauseum about the uh, shortstops out there. As I went through this list, man, and maybe this is just me kind of forgetting how limited the list is of guys that have hit free agency that they've acquired that are that kind of a deal. I don't know that they're going to be as interested in the shortstop market as I would like them to be. Well, it's hard to to look and say that they're going to be interested because of Paul DeYoung. And I don't expect Paul DeYoung being willing to move to third base, although people think it's an easy switch. I don't expect him to be willing to do that, nor the Cardinals doing that with what Mo told us on that press conference, saying that they view him as a gold glove shortstop. But, you know, frankly, I brought that up to you yesterday. I asked you, BK, when was the last time the Cardinals? Johnny Peralta is That's the one. That's why I went and looked at this. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Peralta is the one to me that, if I can remember correctly, he was the, the top free agent in that market or one of the top guys. Like Dexter Fowler was there. But it was Dexter Fowler. It was kind of a shorter class. There were other center. There were other outfielders that piqued the interest of other teams. So Johnny Peralta was the last time that the Cardinals went out and got the guy that was the 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 big name on the market. And frankly, that was a guy who was past his prime and a guy that you're willing to pay money to, but you're probably paying what anyone else is paying for a guy. like You're not overpaying to get that guy to come to St. Louis. Yeah, Peralta was a good signing. The last time, though, that you've gone to free agency and overpaid to get somebody here would probably be Matt Holliday. And I don't even know if you overpaid for Matt Holliday. You didn't. You got a hell of a deal on that because he played in St. Louis. So the the option of going into free agency next year and saying, yeah, we're going to fight for one of these six guys. Look, right now the reports are that the Mets are, are interested in trading for Nolan Arenado. If they don't get Arenado, they're going to be on one of these free agents. The Yankees want Francisco Lindor. The Dodgers want a shortstop so they can move Corey Seager to third base. Guess what? I just named all of these teams that are willing to spend top dollar to get these players. You're not going to be you're not going to win in a fight with that. And I think off seasons always present trade options. And the two biggest holes in the 2021 offseason is going to be third base in the outfield. But if but if I'm Bill DeWitt and if I'm John Mosaic, which again, it's not my money. But I want to get ahead of the curve, and I want to get somebody who's solidified on my roster for the next five to six years. Yeah, I'm overpaying. But I'm going to be overpaying even more than the $25, $28 million that Arenado would be paid if I go into free agency and need to fight for a player like that. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I would rather get those guys that we're talking about the shortstops because they're in their prime. I just I don't think they're going to. And to your point on Peralta, that was the 2013-2014 offseason when they signed him. He got, as I said, Four years, about $53 million on his contract. Didn't he come there, off of a drug suspension, yeah, too? Yeah, and there were one, two, three, four, five position players that made more money that offseason than Johnny Peralta. So he wasn't even the crown jewel of that offseason. You had Robinson Cano, Jacoby Ellsbury, Shin Su Chu, Brian McCann, and Curtis Granderson all ended up making more money in that offseason yep. than Johnny Peralta. So, I mean, if you're looking for a one-for-one of what this upcoming class is going to look like, who the Cardinals would have signed in that class if they were going down that route, it would have been Robinson Cano. He was the one that got the 10-year, $240 million contract. That is the type of deal that we're talking about with a lot of these free agents that are coming up in this up- upcoming offseason. I just, the longer we get into this offseason, the more I feel like if you're a Cardinals fan, the best case scenario, both for the immediate future and the long-term future, is for the Cardinals to find a way, find a way to be able to bring in Nolan Arenado, where this year it doesn't quite hurt as bad as it would um, in the future, because right now you're hurting for money. 
So if they can get the Rockies to pay down five, six, seven million dollars while also including Matt Carpenter in the deal somehow, so that way you can get his eighteen million dollars off the books. Okay, well that's twenty-five million dollars combined, right? Between Carpenter's deal plus the seven million dollars you're getting from the Rockies, you'd be paying an extra ten million dollars this year to upgrade from Matt Carpenter to Nolan Arenado. That's worth it. If it means you're deciding, do we bring back Wayno or go get Nolan Arenado? I think we'd all probably take the Arenado side of that thing, right? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You would lean that route, right? Oh, yeah. I, frankly, I would lean the route of not bringing back Yachty for Nolan Arenado because you're upgrading your – like, it, it takes a hit defensively, but guess what? You're upgrading the biggest hole that you have, and you find out what Andrew Kisner and Yvonne Herrera is, too. And as we were talking with Danny Mack, and this is something that I've been thinking about lately, I don't view the outfield as the biggest hole for this team right now. I don't. I think it is. There are a lot of questions out there, no doubt, but at least there's potential in the outfield. As much as we get frustrated by talking about it, Tyler O'Neill does still have untapped potential. You know, Dylan Carlson has the potential to be a star. Harrison Bader is a competent major leaguer, although frustrating, competent. <laughs> Dexter Fowler has shown real actual production lately. Your starting third baseman, if the season started today, would be Matt Carpenter. Full stop. Yikes. That would be the guy that would be starting there. Your other option potentially is Edmundo Sosa internally. He hasn't shown a ton of power. He hasn't been a guy that's had this overwhelming OPS, even in the minors, much less in the major leagues. So that's the spot that I want to upgrade going into this upcoming year. But there aren't very many options available on the open market to do so. And it all comes back to the guy that you've been 95% on, the guy that we've talked so much about, the great white buffalo for the St. Louis Cardinals for the last five years. All roads lead back to Nolan Arenado. And I heard Dan and Randy talk about it this morning on Carriker and Smallman. And look, Arnado has made it clear that he wants to be play for the Cardinals. Like Matt Holiday has said it numerous times who he works out with. It's an option that I think you have now, but past this season, I don't think you have. Because look, if Colorado can't move Arnado, they're going to have to move on from Story. And you're keeping one of the two. You're not losing Story and Arenado. So this is the season to pounce on that. The problem is, BK, we view the third base position as a whole. The Cardinals view the third base position as on the rise with Montero and Gorman in their minor league system. Like it or not, Bill DeWitt, the interview that we cited that we were listening to yesterday, he talked about how they believe still in the grow from within. You don't have anybody else in the outfield depth right now. You got John Torres, who is supposedly good, but I think you view that more as like a a Harrison Bader scenario. Dylan Carlson's it. If you got these infielders, Montero and Gorman, and you're the Cardinals, you view that as coming in the next couple of years. You view the outfield as the whole going into next offseason. Yeah, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. Guys, nobody's taking that Matt Carpenter contract unless you throw in two to three top prospects. Yeah, you, you'd have to deal something to be able to get rid of it. I, I don't know. Morosi was reporting today that the, the Rockies would at least look at taking on a Robinson Cano contract on top of a Jeff McNeil and a prospect. Yeah, those so are you, two mediocre players right now. You'd probably have to give up Carpenter. And maybe Gorman. Yeah. And that's that's probably what the deal would look like. Uh, Carp plus Gorman. So they would take on the contract of Carpenter to satisfy the salary needs for the Cardinals. And then in return for taking on that contract, they get a better prospect than they otherwise would. And that's how Nolan Gorman gets into it. And if you're the Cardinals and you're getting Arenado to play third base, 
the need for Nolan Gorman isn't what it previously was. Now, would you like to have him? Of course. And if they would take something else, maybe you go that route. But that's just kind of an indicator of what it could potentially take for the Rockies, unless they're just truly desperate to get rid of that money. Yeah. And look, you're getting six years of Nolan Arenado where, you know, maybe you don't need the Nolan Gorman. You go to the draft and you find that next third baseman. They just drafted actually a kid, Jordan Walker, I think his name is, that they're hoping and pretty high on. Here's the competition, though. And again, we're living in a hypothetical world. I'm Mr. 95% all of the way, but we all know the Cardinals. If you're competing with the Mets, the Cardinals look better because they have better prospects. Like Sandy Alderson said yesterday, we don't have prospects or players, but guess what we got? We got money. So you're fighting with a team that would say, Colorado, we'll give you this, but we'll take all of his money. The Cardinals are saying, we'll give you better prospects. But you got to eat some of that salary. If you're Colorado, which one are you going with? Yeah, I think I would take the Cardinals offer. I really Really? do. Over the money? If you're telling me that I get a prospect, because Colorado, like, they're going to get rid of the money either way, right? If if you're telling me that they've got to take on Robinson Cano's deal, that's similar. That's no different, really, than Matt Carpenter, except it's actually longer. It's an extra year. But let's say the prospect is... A little less than Nolan Gorman. It's still a good prospect, but it's a little less than what Nolan Gorman would be. I get a year less of the salary with Matt Carpenter, and I get a better prospect. So, but you get you're assured to be able to bring back Trevor Story. Because I don't. Why would that change with Matt Carpenter? Because Matt Carpenter's one year. He's off the books. Right. That makes it easier for you to be able to take back Trevor Story. Yeah. Because now, for 2022, the Rockies don't have to worry about Robinson Cano's salary being on the books, yeah. right? So I, I actually think it would be a better deal for them yeah. to be able to turn to the Cardinals where they get a better prospect, they get a year less on the on the books in terms of the salary that they're taking on. But have to eat one five, five, seven. I thought it was every year we talked about. Uh, oh, five, over seven, the life of the contract. Over the sure. life of the contract. But, I mean, it, I'd rather have $5 million per year on my books than million for the next year. Whatever, $40 million for Robinson right. Cano. I'm yeah. not interested well, in that. Well, maybe he'll have PED again, and you get suspended, and then you can save that money, too. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of Are We Sure, including Are We Sure Andrew Kisner is the answer for the Cardinals at catcher? I'm starting to have my doubts. We'll get into it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Are We Sure? Let's start out with this one. Are we sure, Alex, that Andrew Kisner is actually an answer for the Cardinals at catcher? This has got to be the worst for Cardinals fans. No, we're not sure. We are not sure that he is the answer at catcher. And frankly, Dan just kind of solidified that for us. Internally, he would become the number one guy. But everything John Mozalek has said is that the, if, if Yachty's not back, they're going out to outside. They're going externally to find something. Now, is that a complimentary piece to Andrew Kisner? Probably. But as we saw last year, you might be signing a Matt Wieters, a one-legged Matt Wieters, who's going to get the same, if not more, playing time than Andrew Kisner. Yvonne Herrera is the guy. The Cardinals have said it. Feels like everyone knows it. So right now, Andrew Kisner is just the bridge gap. Andrew Kisner is going to be number two, whether it's with Yachty or somebody else, for at least a season or two until Yvonne Herrera. So no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. I wish I was sure. I want to be sure. <laughs> we all want to be sure. <laughs> Andrew Kisner has the pedigree of being a really good catcher. 
for the Cardinals. But they seem to, at every opportunity, tell us with their actions, not their words, that he is not somebody that they're counting on as being the everyday catcher for them. So for me, I view what we saw last year as one of those actions. It was very clear they did not trust him whenever Yachty was out. Right. And so they decided to go with Weeders instead. This offseason, when asked about whether or not the Cardinals would have to sign somebody else externally to be able to get through next season at catcher if they decide not to bring back Yachty. They said, yeah, we have to go externally. Can't just be Andrew Kisner. Right. All of these things lead me to believe that they think Kisner is no more than a timeshare as a catcher. Fine. It's a guy that you can have on the roster. Perfectly acceptable. No problem with that. It is not somebody that is going to live up to the billing of what we expected him to be. Here's the part, too, that gets me, which I'm sure Cardinals fans have the same thought process, BK. At what point do we believe what you're selling to us that Yvonne Herrera is actually the next big thing? Everything that we've heard, though, is that he is, including people that are not within the organization. But we had the same thing with Carson Kelly, who people said outside that this guy was a legit player offensively, not so much defensively. We've heard the same thing externally with Andrew Kisner. Maybe not as much hype as Carson Kelly was and Yvonne Herrera is, but we've heard it an awful lot. And now we're hearing the same about Yvonne Herrera. I believe that this guy's the real deal. But at what point do Cardinals fans sit there and say, okay, Carson Kelly could never be number one. Kisner could never be number one. What makes us believe that Yvonne Herrera can be number one. I hear you. I understand what you're saying. I do. I try. I try to view things individually. Um, It's sometimes hard to do, but (laughs) it feels to me like the reports that we are hearing about Herrera are different than what we heard at any point about Kisner. Even when Kisner was one of the top prospects in the Cardinal system, there were still people that had some questions about whether or not he was really going to be a big league catcher because he did switch late. He was a third baseman that ended up becoming a catcher. There were some questions about his defense. Others had questions about whether or not the bat actually projected to be a good one in the major. So there were always questions about him. I don't hear those same questions about right now, Yvonne Herrera. Can we put so. Kisner back to third base? Yeah. At this point, it's worth a shot. Might as well. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Are We Sure? Guys, are we sure from the 314 that the college football playoff committee will keep Florida out of the college football playoff if the Gators were to beat Alabama on Saturday in the upcoming SEC championship game? No, we're not. I mean, right now, I would say... I mean, who who would be on the cusp? Notre Dame's not going anywhere. Ohio State, we've already seen, is not going anywhere. Could you pull Clemson? So you could, if Notre Dame beats Clemson handily this weekend then you in could. the ACC championship game, yeah. Clemson would drop down. If Ohio State were to lose, they would drop out. And then potentially with Florida's big win against Alabama, your college football playoff would be Notre Dame, Alabama, Florida. And I don't know who that other team is. You don't even need Ohio State to lose, actually. Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State if they win, and then Florida if if Florida has a huge win over Alabama. It probably would be enough. If Ohio State loses, I don't think they deserve to be in regardless. No chance. They wouldn't get in. Like, they don't deserve to be there. Even if Florida loses, I just really feel like Ohio State wouldn't deserve to be there with the two losses and then, of course, the, the, the rough season that they've had. Let me ask you this, because it's starting to piss me off, BK. How are we not including Coastal Carolina on this? It's a fair question because at this point, Because they're still man. undefeated, and they just continue to trend upwards. Yeah, I, 
I don't understand anything about this week's rankings, to be honest with you. They don't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, Iowa State, uh, last week, they, they, so far this year, they have a win against Oklahoma. That's a really good win. Great win on the season. They also have losses against Louisiana and Oklahoma State. Iowa State's ranked sixth in the country right now. They were idle last week. They did not play a game, and they moved up. How does that make any sense when you also had Coastal Carolina, who beat Troy? Right. They have wins over Louisiana, who, again, beat Iowa State head-to-head. Coastal Carolina beat BYU in a game they didn't have to play. They just decided to schedule it late, late in the process. How is that team all the way down at number 12 in these rankings. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's all about the damn money, which is so frustrating when it comes to college football postseason ranks. If I'm a group of five team right now, I think this season all but convinced me that there is no way for me to make the college football playoff unless they expand it to eight teams. There's no other way because right now, even Cincinnati, who's 8-0 on the season, is at number nine overall in the rankings behind Florida, who just lost to an unranked LSU team because their player threw a shoe at the end of the game. Which was awesome. Georgia, who didn't look good for half of the season, is all the way up to number eight overall in the rankings, despite the loss against Alabama and Florida on the year. So it's it's just it's puzzling to me, and I don't think they have very good explanations when asked about why they ranked teams over other teams because they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth and there's no good explanation, frankly, for why some of these teams are ranked where they are. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Are We Sure? Are We Sure, Alex Ferrario, last one for you, that the Arizona Cardinals are going to make the NFL playoffs this year. No, I'm not. I'm really not, BK. I I mean, for a while there, I thought Minnesota would squeak in over Arizona just for the way that they've been playing, but that this past week really ruined it for them my gut tells me there's no way that they're going to get in but as we just said earlier like the nfc is wide open but there's only a couple of clear-cut players that are in there with the saints the packers the rams and the seahawks after that it's so and the bucks too i need to put the bucks in there but after that it's so wide open that i'm just not sure that they could I'm just not sure that they could get in, but I'm also not sure that they can miss out on getting in too. So I I don't have the tiebreakers in front of me, so I don't know what the tiebreaker is with Minnesota and Arizona. However, it wouldn't be a shock to me if they ended up with the same record. Uh, Nine and seven is very much in play for both of these teams right now. The Vikings finish the season with the Bears at the Saints. That's a tough one for the Vikings. Two tough ones. I could see them easily beating the Bears so? at home. Oh, yeah. With Mitchell Trubisky, absolutely. And then at the Lions to finish out the year, that should be a win for the Vikings. That's their upcoming schedule. Arizona, on the other hand, Eagles, 49ers at the Rams. It actually wouldn't be totally shocking if the Cardinals finished the year 8-8. Eight and eight. And if that ends up being the case and Minnesota needs to go just 2-1 and one down the stretch, if I don't, I don't have this in front of me again, but if they have the tiebreaker over Arizona, I think that's how Minnesota gets in. 8-8, yeah. eight and eight, tie between them and the Cardinals. Arizona potentially gets in over the Cardinals. Either way, if either of those teams get in, I don't see them doing it. Like, I see them yeah. being one and one and done. Just yeah. for how good the other four and five teams are. Frankly, I think Washington might at least give those teams, if they matched up, which I don't think they would. They would play against either the, the Saints, Packers, or Rams, depending on who ends yeah. up winning. So Washington there. Getting that two seed. It, whoever that wild card is going to be, BK, it's a one and done scenario. So that's why, you know, I'm just not sure. They could get in, but I don't see any people talking about it. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 
101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to talk with our guy Chris Kerber. There was a report earlier today that the NHL still doesn't know if it's going to be an individual cities or if they're going to have to go to some sort of hub city format. What is Chris Kerber hearing about that, and how would that impact the Blues? We'll ask the voice of the Blues coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. We are getting closer and closer to the start of the NHL season to help us kind of start looking forward to that. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Doing really well, uh, BK. How are you? Uh, doing well. So let's start with kind of the latest with the return to play stuff. There was a report earlier today about whether or not we're going to have to go to this hub city format. From what you understand, Curbs, and what you're hearing out there, uh, what's the latest on all of this? You know, from what I understand from at least a couple of days ago, they were still focused on trying to make sure the teams could play within their own cities. And the biggest reason for that is the teams can recover as much revenue as possible by staying in their own cities. The revenue lost by the hub, by the hub city model is, is far greater than if teams can play in their own cities. So um, I don't, I haven't heard anything today or yesterday of that report BK. And, but, but having said that, you know, you do know that there are certain things that are on the table. For example, we, we know that the San Francisco 49ers cannot play, in their home stadium. You've got to figure something like that could impact the San Jose Sharks or if those types of things end up in California down south, uh, how it could impact the Kings and the Ducks. So will some teams potentially have to adopt that that possibility? It is possible, but I do think there are enough enough other cities where you could play some games that, uh, heck, even maybe a hybrid of a hub city. I mean, we just keep tacking onto this thing. Could be possible, but... I guess everything is still on the table, but uh, as of a couple days ago, I know they were still focused on trying to make sure that you can play within the uh, within your own city. I, I know it's a hypothetical world, Curbs, but we, we heard the report about that before of those potential, like you know, semi hub cities with a baseball series model that has been tossed out there, would that be something? And again, this is all hypothetical, but would that be something where you kind of go in for the week, like they proposed earlier and you play some games and then you take the week off and how would that affect the schedule? You think? Well, I I think right now the plan that they're looking on is, I mean, if they could still get a 56 game schedule in, if they keep the divisions the same, if it is a scenario where you're playing just inside your division, which is, uh, the, the way I've been told is you would play each team in your division, seven teams in your division, you'd play them each eight times. I think right now the baseball model that they're looking at is you would go into a city and you would play two games. So you would essentially make two road trips over those 56 games into each city. You'd play them four times on the road, four times at home. I actually think it can create a heck of a lot of excitement and yeah. some great scenarios to this season. So I'm, I'm all on board with this idea in terms of what it can do for fan engagement too. But you would go in, and whether it be back-to-back or whether it be two games in three or four days, you would play those before you go to another city. So that is that is one of the uh, schedule scenarios that has been considered and is being tossed around. We're talking with Chris Kerber, voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. All right, Kerbs, one guy that we've talked so much about uh, over the last couple of years really is Robert Thomas. And I'm not asking about the, the ranking in general, but I saw earlier today on ESPN, they had a ranking of the top 25 players in the league under the age of 25. 
They didn't even have Thomas ranked as one of the honorable mentions on that list, which I think is kind of crazy. But we all know what he's capable of here locally. What do you want to see from him this year to show you that he's taken that next step in his development? What do you need to see from him to show you that? Well, I, I think first and foremost, I mean, uh, I mean, don't forget. That, okay, first off, from a National Hockey League standpoint, it, it really is impressive. I mean, the young talent in this league really is impressive. Uh, I mean, you're still talking about a guy like Connor McDavid being under 25, okay? All right, so you're looking at a St. Louis Blues player in Robert Thomas that is going into his third season in the National Hockey League. He hasn't had more than 10 goals in either of the first two seasons. He hasn't hit 45 points in either of the first two seasons. All right, so he had 33 in his first year. He had 42 in his second year. It's a steady growth. Do we think that he could become one of the top playmaking centers in the National Hockey League? Yep, there is that thought. There is that hope because of the way we've seen his game continue to rise. When you ask, when you ask, well, what do you want to see? Well, he's got to take that next step and find a way to make sure that he's one of the top two centermen on the St. Louis Blues team to begin with. And so, you know, is he going to crack the top six? Is he going to do it as a centerman? And then is the production going to be there as a top six? I think that's the next logical step for him in his in his career, you know. And, and by the way, for for a guy that was drafted twentieth overall, all right. I mean, and for what he's done, you win a Stanley Cup your first year in the National Hockey League. For a guy that was drafted twentieth overall, I like their trajectory and where it's going on. You know, he he wasn't he was not a, a Connor McDavid talent where you're going to come in and within a year or two you're scoring ninety to hundred points in the National Hockey League. He's coming into a team where there was no room in the top six for him on top of it. So I, I think I think just what he brings mentally, physically, and consistently every game this season to earn himself a regular spot in the top six, which will give him more opportunities to produce, I think that's how you get to, to end those rankings uh, that, that has left him out right now. So, Curbs, another player that's under 25 that has a lot of high projection is Vince Dunn. And it, right now it's crickets on the on the contract situation and with training camp starting soon. I'm kind of curious just where you feel like Vince Dunn's going to fall in because Doug Armstrong has talked about how they project Vince Dunn as a top four defenseman. But with Tory Krug now on the left side and, of course, Marco Scandella, it's hard to see how Vince Dunn is still a top uh, top four defensemen for the Blues. Well, that, that's assuming that Marco Scandella stays in your top four. I mean, look at some point in time, Vince Dunn, Robert Thomas, uh, Clem Costin, Jake Wallman, uh, even 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 a, even a Barbashev and Sunquist. Okay, I mean, if, if you want if you want to throw them into, um, you know. Uh, these guys at some point in time are going to have to put the pressure on the veteran players, right? They're the guys that are going to have to come in and take a spot. They're going to have to do what Joel Edmondson and Colton Pareko did, you know, five years ago where they were coming in thinking, okay, those two guys are going to battle for to be your, maybe your sixth or your seventh defenseman. And they essentially unseated Carl Gunnarsson and Robert Bortuzzo, you know, who, who was kind of slated to be in that top six. That's what's going to have to happen. Look, Vince Dunn doesn't have any options from a signing standpoint, okay? He either has to sign his kind of the offer sheet or he has to hold out. I mean, he doesn't have arbitration rights, okay? So mm-hmm. that, there's there's that aspect of it. Then, then it's a matter of does the team, you know, what, what do they do with him long term? 
they don't have to do anything with him long term right now. They still have his, and that's just the business side of it. That's the agreement between the PA and the National Hockey League. And if something gets unfair, maybe, but the reality of it, that's where it's at. Um, so for me, if Vince Dunn's going to come in there, Vince Dunn has got to consistently, like Robert Thomas, earn himself a top in that top four. You know, just because they've signed Scandella to do a, you know, a contract doesn't mean that they have to play him in a certain spot. If you're good enough to earn it, earn it, and you're going to do it by production. And and I don't know that he was as consistent last year as he needed to be, I, I think, to really earn that. So, like any young player, and, and boy, keep this in mind, too, okay, when you're talking Vince Dunn, you know, you are still talking about a defenseman in the National Hockey League. And we I know we say this ad nauseum here, guys, you know, but it's still only 24 years of age, having only played three seasons in the National Hockey League. You know, and and he's been pretty solid and pretty reliable in terms of having played over 70 games in all three of those seasons. The reality for Vince Dunn, though, is you've got to force that next level in your own game and make the team make make a decision on you. But you're still a young defenseman learning the game in the NHL, and it takes more time than just three years to get there. So do they see continued growth? That'll be the big question mark for Vince Dunn if and when they can get him signed and into camp. A lot of questions, a lot of excitement surrounding Blues hockey heading into this 2021 season. You'll be able to hear Chris Kerber call all the action right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time. All the best to you and the fam. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Okay, guys, have a terrific rest of your week. You got it. That's Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. I am curious because he said something interesting there at the end, Alex. He's talking about um, Vince Dunn and him potentially even overtaking Scandella as a top four pairing um, on the defensive side of things. What do you think is more likely this season? Is it more likely that Vince Dunn overtakes Scandella to be a top two pairing or that Perunovic or Mikola overtake Dunn to get into the top three pairings. That makes sense. So is it more likely that Dunn ends up overtaking Scandella or that one of the young defensemen overtakes Vince Dunn? You know, I want to say Vince Dunn, but it's Mikola Perunovic because one, you're playing the odds there. You got two different guys that are really expected to do some big things for this blues team, but it it goes back to what I talked about. And I understand what Kerber's saying because look, Vince Dunn is a top four defenseman. If he wants to be, He's got to bring his physical game to the next level. He's got to be bigger in his own zone. And he's got to accept the the responsibility of not being a top guy offensively. Because now you got Krug and Falk. They're going to be jumping into play. And let's be honest, if Dunn is playing with Falk, who's going to be jumping up into the offense? I would say it's probably going to be Justin Falk who's got that experience. So Mikola is a guy that they are really high on. And he is a big body defenseman, which the Blues have Pareko, Scandella, Bortuzzo. Two of those three are on the right side. So I would say it's more likely that Perunovic, who is very similar to Vince Dunn and is a Hobie Baker Award winner, or a Mikola, who is a difference maker when it comes to body size, cracks one of those spots ahead of Vince Dunn than Vince Dunn cracking a spot over Marco Scandella. It's really interesting, man. I I think I tend to agree with you, especially given the way that this offseason has gone. It just... Uh, Jamie's talked about this a million different times, basically pleading Vince Dunn, please go sign that offer sheet. There is nothing that you can gain by not signing it right now, especially when you're a guy like we're saying fighting for a roster spot. I, I have to believe that the moment that they announce any sort of a training camp or when guys are going to be able to be back on the ice as a team, 
I would think that at that exact moment, Vince Dunn yeah. should be in Doug Armstrong's office ready to sign that offer sheet. But man, if he's not, he really does stand to lose a whole heck of a lot, especially early in the season. If he's not 100% ready to go when everybody else is. Yeah, look, if you're not at camp day one and Perunovic and Mikola are at camp, that's already putting you behind the curve, regardless of you being a cup champion and being on this roster. But Curbs is right. You don't have a lot of guys on this roster that are forcing the hands of Craig Berube. Like Sunquist is maybe a option. But other than that, it's guys that are playing their roles, which the Blues want. But if you want him to become a top four defenseman, you got to force the Blues hand of saying, hey, look, Krug is awesome. Scandell is awesome. But Vince Dunn's better right now. We got to put him up in the top. He's Alex Ferrario, pre, post and intermission host right here on 101 ESPN, your host of or your home, rather, of the Blues. Chris Kerber, always appreciate his time, the voice of the Blues. We're going to cross things over with the Fast Lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. ESPN. Look who the cat drug in. It's Jamie Rivers in studio. Fellas. How we doing, bud? I'm good, man. Look at that mug. I know, right? It's uh, it's uh, certainly one a mother can appreciate, but maybe nobody else. But that's okay. I'm proud of it. Not many mothers. That's true. Uh, Thank God I have one. It's perfect. (laughs) It's true. Jamie, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Me too. Because we today talked a lot of blues hockey. A lot of blues hockey. And we need a Uh little bit of... How confused are you now? Very, very confused. Okay. So I don't know if you saw this, but there was an ESPN article on the top 25 players in the NHL (laughs) under the age of 25. Yes. Of course, I, I... I pull it up and I'm like looking up and down. I start at 25, roll my way down to number one, right? And I'm yep. like, okay, where's Robert Thomas? Because I know he's going to be on here. Uh, he's, he's not in the top 20. What's going on here? So I control F, right? I I try to find his name. <laughs> I, I just I, I search. Okay, Robert Thomas. I must have missed it. Nope, nope. Just mm. not only not in the top 25, not even mentioned in the honorable mention section of like, hey, these guys are something to watch. Uh, not even a mention there. Yeah. Are we overrating him locally? Is he undervalued nationally? What What's going on here? What's this disconnect? Because I feel like locally, the way we talk about him, he, he, he has to be a top 25 player under the age of 25. Yeah, and we've talked to Craig Berube in the past, and he talked about how he could be a superstar in the NHL. And, you know, to, to be in that group, though, and we're going to get into this actually about 215 oh, cool. on the fast lane. So save whatever yeah. your best stuff is, save it for then. We'll jerk, hear that coming up on the fast movie. lane. No, okay. no, it's great. It's great. But no, we are going to dive into it. And there's some things that that people probably don't understand because on the surface, like you said, it's you, you, this is boy wonder, right? Like he got it. He was like 19 and he played here, won a Stanley Cup and he's going to be a superstar. Where is he right now? I think the biggest thing that I'll say right now is that take a look at the rest of the list. Yeah. Okay. And like I said, we're going to dive into that and I'm going to dissect pretty much all the people in the top 25 and tell you why Robert Thomas should be there or why he shouldn't be there and partially who's to blame for that as well. Interesting. So one other kind of follow-up question that I'd have for you. Deep tease. I said earlier today, if you're looking for, again, 
as I mentioned earlier today, different players stylistically, um, who they were, who they are, different players. But point production wise, Ryan O'Reilly, when he was with Colorado, started off his career similar age, very young when he broke into the NHL. 26 points in year one, had eight goals that season, 26 points again in year two. 13 goals that year and then boom breakout year year three 55 points 18 goals looked like the player that he was ultimately going to become in terms of the point production Mm -hmm. Robert Thomas 33 points in year one nine goals 42 points in year two 10 goals okay kind of on that same trajectory even more so actually than Ryan O'Reilly is this the year where you think kind of like Ryan O'Reilly we see that breakthrough point production wise I certainly hope so for one thing but yeah I think so and one thing you have to remember here is Ryan O'Reilly has gotten to the level of success that he's had through hard work, perseverance, and all of these, because he's not a great skater. Okay, he's not going to be your your guy you look at and go, wow, that's a hockey player. No, you notice it 20, 30, 40, 50 games, and you go, wow, he's pretty good at that. And then maybe 40 games later, you go, wow, he's pretty good at that, too. It's not right there in front of you. Robert Thomas? You look at this guy and you go, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. the way he skates, the way he uses his edges, the way he spins out of defensive uh, players in their way, the way he finds guys, his vision, it's there. You can see it. So, yes, I think that Robert Thomas is on that path, but there's a lot here, too, that Robert Thomas is responsible for moving forward. He can certainly adapt a lot of Ryan O'Reilly's approach to the game and he has he's on the ice with him he does a lot of stuff and and trust me O'Reilly grabs him even though sometimes maybe Robert Thomas doesn't want that (laughs) and says hey kid let's go work on this but it's all about maturity and I think that that's what you saw with Ryan O'Reilly who's a different personality he was kind of this guy his whole life you know love like he's a hockey nerd he wants to figure out everything to do with hockey Robert Thomas blessed with a lot more raw ability for sure but now he's got to be taught, you know, how to break it down and start to pinpoint certain things and be dedicated to it. See, I got into the hockey nerd side of this one, Ribs, and I, BK and I were talking, and, and I said a comp, at least for Robert Thomas moving forward, is kind of like what David Krejci turned into with the Boston Bruins. Never that number one guy because Patrice Bergeron was there, but you put him on any other team, he's going to be the number one guy. Very reliable defensively, but he's gifted offensively. Yeah, I think if you build a team around Robert Thomas the way you built the team around David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron and those guys, Robert Thomas's ceiling is way higher than yeah. David Krejci. Interesting. That's for sure. He's got more um, natural ability, more than David offensive Krejci. upside too. Yes, way much, way more, and he's much better skater. So, oh, yeah. you know, that being said, the game moving into a speed first kind of league than Robert Thomas. I think if you supply him with the players that Krejci's had over the course of time, which will be Doug Armstrong's job to do that right. and be Craig Berube's job to pair him up with the right guys, you do that, I think you get more out of him than Robert than David Krejci ever did. That's what happened to you, man. They just didn't pair you up with the right people. <laughs> yeah, they paired me with this McInnes guy yeah. my first That's year. That's trash. Give you yeah, Jeff Finley, you would have been You need something more. Yeah. Although Al won the Norris that year. Give, give you Alex. I'm just, just saying, give, either I was good or I was so bad, they said, oh my God, we better give this guy the Norris. The only way we can make this even workable <laughs> is if we pair him with, quite literally, the, the best, best defenseman <laughs> in all of hey, hockey. Hey, that needs to be on your resume. Jamie Rivers, superstar defenseman, made Al McKenna's a Norris trophy winner. I told Al that several times. Apparently, he just hangs up on me. That's why he blocks so. your number. <laughs> Jamie, we know that you guys are going to get into more of this with Robert Thomas coming up at 2.15. What else do you have coming up? 
up today on the Fast Well, we got to talk about Boris, Scott Boris, and some of his comments, yeah. and certainly uh, Mr. DeWitt and some of the comments cool. there. And you know, look, we're going to dive into, especially with BT, we're going to dive into what direction the Cardinals really should go into. Like, we all talk about what we want, what we need, but what should they really do? And sometimes what they really should do may not be very appealing to the fan base, but we're going to get into that. Oh, Tankathon coming up. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Jamie up. Rivers in the fast lane coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be t- back tomorrow at 11 o'clock. For Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie on 101 ESPN. Mmm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. When you need auto parts, O'ReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.